Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Failed Crickets Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Steve Norman, joined again by James Diamond. Hello. And Owen Hughes. Hello. As we enter a week where we've got three new releases to review, The Butler, Don John and The Counselor. And before that is the long-awaited, I believe, anyway, return of Triple Bill. <laughs> we say it is, it is. Yeah. Yes. Long-awaited return of Triple Bill. Um and also this week, there's been some movie news after many weeks with nothing happening in the film world. Lots has happened this week. Um, we'll get to that in a moment because Owen is going to kick us off with the quiz. Yes, I'm going to start with... Um, I've got a list here. I'm going to start off with 28 weeks later. James. Go for it. Jeremy Ranner. No, it isn't. Oh, damn it. You having a go, Steve? Or are you going to wait? Robert Carlyle. No, it isn't Robert Carlyle. Next film, American Gangster. Steve. Yeah? Your man who was in um, Lost (laughs) as well, who drove the helicopter in 20 weeks, eight weeks later, whose name I can't remember. (laughs) What else has he been in? Give me something else. James, uh, Matthew Fox. No. Okay. He was in... The Baz Luhrmann, Romeo and Juliet, I think. Uh, well, I don't think it's him. No, all right. No, yeah. Okay. okay, I'll carry on. Uh, next one is The Losers. James. Yeah. It's not Idris Elba, is it's it? It's Idris Elba, yeah. Fucking yeah. 2-0. <laughs> oh, Steve. Got to bring your game, yeah. son. Got to bring your game. Elba in 28 weeks later. Apparently. Yeah, apparently. I, I don't remember him. <laughs> no, um, this is just going from his um, IMDb profile. Yeah, he was someone called Stone. I know he was on, I know he was on Crime Watch in Reconstruction, which still amazes <laughs> me, especially, especially as he's now playing Stella. Yeah. In a big Hollywood movie, and his first gig was Reconstructions on Crime Watch. That's nice. A That's a nice way, journey. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's even better than when you like see British actors starting out on The Bill or Casualty or Grange Hill and making it in Hollywood. Yeah, because yeah, no one's meant to no one's meant to actually be you know, have a great acting career after a crime watch re- reconstruction. Though. That's, that's nice. I'm going to have to try and find these reconstructions now on YouTube or something of yeah. him in crime watch. 
Anyway, yes, James now <laughs> two up in the quiz. Um, yeah. I am doing yeah. really well. You're all going to watch a penis documentary when I win. <laughs> Oh, See, just, Steve, oh, you're just oh, going to throw it in next week, Steve, because you're so desperate to watch that film. Owen, Owen's just got to start picking people who are only in Mike Matter, England manager, or Mike <laughs> Matter, <laughs> Yeah, next week, Steve uh, McQueen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway, we have some news. Um, this one we should have picked up on a few weeks ago, but we forgot in our infinite wisdom. But Marvel have teamed up with Netflix to create four uh, superhero TV, well, not TV shows on Netflix, but two, you know, two, uh, four series based around Daredevil, uh, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, and Jessica Jones to tie in with, I suppose, the Marvel Universe that um, Disney are creating and um, the original programming that Netflix has started making to uh, quite a lot of success. Yeah, I'm quite excited to barely, even if it's just to see how um, the concept works, because it's supposed to tie into the S.H.I.E.L.D. TV series, which they don't own, um, and it's also going to work alongside the movies. So, um, yeah, bit bit of a, a weird concept. As well as that, they're going to release all, there's 13 episodes in each series, in the four series, as, as um, Steve just said, mm. but they're going to release them all at the same time like they always do as well. So, wow. yeah, so it's all going to be sort of interconnected. Um, yeah, I think, just a, I, think four, I think the four separate series are meant to come together at the end as well, hmm. of each to, to kind of combine to a big finale. Yeah. Oh. But the well, the characters in it, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist and Luke Cage, are the heroes for hire. They're a sort of um, established uh, group, I suppose, heroes for hire. And Daredevil as well is sort of, quite closely linked with uh, Iron Fist, a character called Danny Rand. They're sort of, um, yeah, very connected. I think Danny Rand ended up becoming the Daredevil for a while. But, you know, so there's, there's scope there to turn that into something quite epic within that, that um, you know, limited amount of episodes that they've got to work with. But, it, yeah, I'm just, I don't know how it's going to fit around the, the film series because, uh, well, how, how can it work? It's Isn't it a bit unfair to people who perhaps, don't have Netflix or well, I don't think it's going to be integral to the film series, but I think there'll be ways it's connected in the same way Agents of Shield is has got you know connections with the Avengers films and all those kind of things, and all the films seem to have little cameos and references and intertwine. It's gonna it's gonna be like that. I don't think right. it's good, but I don't I don't think if you don't watch the Daredevil TV show, you'll miss something important for Avengers Three, say. Mm. You just you'd assume not. The other thing as well, just from a purely kind of business point of view, um, you'd imagine that the the caliber of actor that they're going to be getting for the Netflix TV series wouldn't necessarily transfer that well across to a multi-billion-dollar well, the, um, film yeah, series. That must be why they're doing it. They must have looked. Marvel and Disney must have looked at all the characters in comic books and they must have kind of a, a, you know, a yes and no pile for will this make a movie. And there's probably some that will, will they think will do better as a TV show. And that's the way they've gone. Mm. Um, but it does mean you're not going to really be able to use them in the films if you've got a, an actor that no one else outside of the television watching audience know who the hell they are. 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's so so it depends on it depends who they cast. But say Daredevil, for example, if they cast a complete unknown, um, what you, that's not going to be that I, I don't think that would satisfy the movie execs if they then decided to try and fit him into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Although I don't know much about comic books, I don't even know if Daredevil ever even came across the Avengers. Um, you know, do do some well, of yeah. these? Obviously, Marvel own them all. But do they all definitely live in the same universe, yes, or does some? With that exception, okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they they all sort of cross over with each other all the time, and yeah. Well, I think uh, there's some kind of big comic book story where they all have to kind of sign a superhero register effect. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Civil War. You're thinking of yeah. Then there's a war between but, certain characters who. Yeah, that, that, that implies to me that implied to me that everyone across every different comic book would be involved in that because they would have to be by definition of the you yeah. know every marvel anyway yeah it is and you're right it's everyone i mean everyone from sort of captain america to punisher you know that spans everybody so they i mean they definitely all do exist within the same universe okay um but is it, is which is, is this and the x-men as well do the x-men exist in the same universe in the com- yeah or? in the comics yeah comics. It's obviously i know different studios own the x-men at the moment but yeah Oh, that's just to do with the rights to the yeah. filming of them, yeah. But within but the... they actually do. Yeah. This Jesus, ne- that must get confusing. <laughs> yeah, this well, ne- I've always thought it was a bit odd. You know, how can you have mutants with superpowers who are different to humans who have superpowers and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it makes it easier for is the this, films. Is this um, Netflix time with Marvel? Is this the Disney arm of Marvel? The ones that are doing the... Well, Disney own all of Marvel now, I think. Yeah, it's it's just a, a bit like Disney a bit property. like Pixar. Yeah, yeah. But they, they just own it. On the same note, this, this is encouraging for for Star Wars with Disney now owning Star Wars. You know, m- it moving away from just movies or just films based around the Skywalker family. I mean, the a galaxy, the big place, is a lot going on. There's a lot of interesting characters just from the background of Star Wars films, let alone this expanded universe that people have created with games and oh. and, and novels and everything uh, that can, you know it's encouraging for that and, and Netflix as well is it, they're gambling a lot and doing very well on making their own programs aren't they I think you've watched mm-hmm. you haven't you James yeah no um I've watched all of them except for the what's his name horror guy uh some kind of Twin Peaks rip off I didn't watch that one uh but uh House of Cards, Arrested Development, Orange is the New Black was the real surprise and is um, currently the most watched uh, Netflix original programming show and that really, really cut across uh, loads of different demographics. It was really, really entertaining. Uh, Anyone who hasn't seen Orange is the New Black yet, really, really good female prison drama with a touch of comedy there, but... Uh, no, no, Netflix doing fantastic stuff with their original program. The other thing they're doing as well is they're actually investing quite heavily in documentaries as well. Uh, it's not just TV. Um, a lot of documentaries which have struggled in the past to get on television, to get a wider audience outside of their original kind of very small cinematic release. Netflix have started putting a lot of money into developing their own documentary arms as well now, which is which is great to see. But have they, they haven't ventured into doing any films of their own yet, have they? No, I think that's that because I think that's the big that's the big risky one because documentaries are cheap enough, yeah. and they know that you know they're building up a massive 
library of documentaries, that's the kind of, you know, they'll stay there for a bit. No, you're right. In terms of films, um, I suppose because of the one-off, they will have spent the equivalent of a film or two on making Arrested Development, for example. Mm-hmm. But because that is, you're getting more bang for your buck, you've got 14 or, 14 or so episodes. Um, and you've got an inbuilt audience there. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me at some point to see them move into, start to move into films. Um, but I think at the moment they don't need to. It, I, I think it will be if uh, content providers start withholding or start trying to charge more for their films. That'll be the problem. But they've got some really good long-term deals at the moment, so I don't think there's any massive need. And I think their their big rival at the moment is TV. Uh, I think Netflix and the movie industry can sit side by side quite happily. Um, I think that the big issue is that Netflix's big rival is TV, and so that's what they're, mm. they're trying to take TV on on, on their terms. And I think I think it's, it's doing very well for them. Netflix are definitely blowing like all of their other streaming rivals out of the water. It seems. They they had a head start in America, to be fair. Yeah. Um, but Amazon Instant. Uh, over there towards its love but I mean they're mm. they're you know working on their own TV series and, and it's, it's a huge company yeah. as well you know Amazon's a massive company uh, and it, there doesn't need to just be one uh, there won't be many uh, when the dust settles I don't think uh, mm. but and there's, there's the small niche ones as well which do really not like I say I could always bang on about move, movie that's a really nice niche one but yeah I think for the for the time being it's going to be Netflix and uh, Amazon Instant. I can't see anyone else kind of elbowing in on their patch. No. And the nice thing about these is that you know there's no advertising on the films. Mm. They don't put a yeah. thirty second, ninety second clip of adverts before yeah. the, the thing starts, which is is, is one of the attractions yeah. to it. I think. And and it's quite nice. Some films you see some films get this second lease of life mm. because all of a sudden it appears on Netflix and loads of people start watching these films and they and you see that like I we quite often. Uh, chat about films on the Football 365 forum in the film and you'll see sometimes that a film which is like four or five years old maybe even older and not a big film all of a sudden about five or six people will review it because they've kind of come across it on Netflix and then someone else has mentioned it so it is quite nice that some films which may have just been consigned to um, bargain bins or just wouldn't have been seen because HMV wouldn't stock it because they can only have a limited amount of things in their stores and if no one on TV was showing it these films just wouldn't be seen and now they're sat there waiting to be seen there's some really nice little hidden gems that are getting seen by people that they wouldn't have been before Safety Not Guaranteed for example has just come onto UK Netflix now and quite a few people I know have seen Safety Not Guaranteed whereas if it wasn't for Netflix I'd I'm pretty sure that not many would have seen it full stop in this country. Anyway, uh, on from that and on to two bits of news that involve um, returns of sorts. Do we want to start off with the good or the bad? The potentially good. I'm still the in two minds about the, the potentially, potentially good. The potentially good. Definitely the most promising news out of these two stories. Monty Python will be returning in some capacity. I think the detail, we'll have more details probably by the time this podcast is released than what we have now. But the surviving members will be coming back. And it's a proper reunion as well, not like um, some of the reunions they've had um, over the last few years where 
that they filmed some not very funny sketches for a night on BBC, but Eric Idle did all his bits separately, and they've kind of got together for chats and stuff, but apparently this will be on stage. This is actually going to be a live performance, which I'm desperate to get tickets for, and I think that will be pretty much impossible. Just to say that I've seen them. Uh, it's, it's one of those that I'm... Yeah, I grew up on Monty Python. Uh, I'm desperate for it. But part of me does think I haven't seen any of them do anything funny for about 30 years. And I'd, are they are they just going to do all their old stuff and everyone's going to go along and kind of mouth along and stuff like that? I don't know. Or are they going to try and come up with new stuff? And there is just the sad point that Graham Chapman won't be there as well. And certainly from the film points of view, he was a he was a pivotal part of the team but i'll be optimistic and say do you know what it's nice to see them talking and wanting to do stuff and i love python so i'm I'm quite excited but nervous and the bad bit of news definitely bad (laughs) no arguing about this no it's It's gonna be woeful back in the habit (laughs) the wonderful strikes back i don't know but A Wonderful Life 2 is being made. It's actually called It's a Wonderful Life, The Rest of the Story, which is a fucking terrible title. I don't want to know the rest of the story. It ended quite nicely. Do you want me to tell you what the rest of the story is? I don't, well, no. I'm going to tell you. Okay. Um, basically, what happens is it's about George Bailey's grandson, um, and he turns into a bit of a dick. Um and an angel, I think his older sister yeah. Zuzu, Zuzu uh, yeah, is, yeah, is now an angel and goes back and shows him what the world would be like if he'd never been born. <laughs> and apparently, it's much better. So it's like flipping the original film. It's going to be so bad. <laughs> to be honest, I think it'll probably go. It'll be a straight to video, straight to TV thing. I don't think. By the sound of it, there doesn't appear to be anyone of any real talent involved in this. Oh, well, they've got, the, they've got a lot of the original cast back there, haven't they? I mean, Zuzu, is it Zuzu, the, the girl's name? Yes. She's the same actress who played her in the yeah. original. So, yeah. you know, might be a bit more, you know, people who are playing the characters might be a bit more vested in, in making sure they do a good job. Yeah, I Apparently, they plan to secure a budget of twenty-five to thirty-two million dollars, which isn't a huge amount in Hollywood these days. And they hope to bring the sequel to the big screen in twenty fifteen. Um, mm. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not going to be good. Uh, it's, and interesting, um, the screen guy who's written it said, "Look, no one can make another. It's a Wonderful Life, but our story is solid." Yeah, brilliant. You're selling it to me. <laughs> <laughs> We're going in with our eyes open. There's no every, doubt about it. There will be a ruckus. Every time a studio sells out like this, some executive gets a big fat paycheck. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is, that, um, and the reason this is finally doable is because It's a Wonderful Life is now out of copyright. So people. Can, so it wouldn't surprise me to see a remake. I think we're more likely, in terms of, a big screen presence to see a remake of it in the next few years. I don't think, I think this is a story, but I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to bother us too much. I I doubt it's going to make any huge waves, but it wouldn't surprise me if in a year or two time we hear about a, uh, a a remake, 
probably with George Clooney uh, in the role of George Bailey. There you we go. We could get a CGI Jimmy Stewart. Yes, oh, I'd love a CGI Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. Just, just for kicks, just around the house. <laughs> yeah, just turn up as a cameo yeah. in, in a ghost or, role. A hologram, like <laughs> they did with Tupac at that Snoop Dogg gig one. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> with two names that you'll never hear in the same sentence again. Jimmy Stewart and Tupac. Yeah. The film that could have been. <laughs> so, if only he hadn't died. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the news. It's an odd bunch this week. Yes, that is that is the news. Um, I'll have a quick break and then Triple Bill is back. Triple Bill then. And this week, uh, it is best movie characters... Uh, that remain anonymous. We don't find out the name or real name of inspired by the counsellor and the Doctor Who 50th anniversary, both characters where we don't know their actual names. Um, I think everyone gets the idea now, so James can start us off. Okay, I'm going to start. Do you know what? Um, I quite like this, actually. I did a bit of research, and I've had to leave out some some that I really enjoy because uh, mainly because I've spoken about them on the podcast either before quite let's recently. Get some, let's so get some horrible mentions at the end. So, you know, yes, we will do. So we'll, we'll we'll kind of we'll tidy up at the end. So the three that I'm going to go for are actually three brilliant performances that I really enjoy in films that I really enjoy as well. So uh, the first one is from 1940, um, and it is from the only Alfred Hitchcock film to win an Oscar. And that's uh, Rebecca, based on the Daphne du Maurier novel, um, about a young woman who in Monte Carlo meets uh, the widower, uh, Maxim de Winter, uh, gets married uh, and then moves to his family home in Cornwall, Mandalay, uh, where the ghost, uh, the kind of not the literal ghost, but the uh, the metaphorical ghost of his first wife looms large over the staff including the frightening mrs danvers and yeah this character this young woman um who is uh, you know we see we see this whole story told through we never actually find out her name she is just the new mrs de winter uh, played by joan fontaine uh, her husband maxim uh, played by Lawrence olivier it is a genuinely brilliant film i've i've got a lot of love for Rebecca, it's in the IMDb Top 250. Um, it, it's one of those Hitchcock films that doesn't necessarily, one of those rare ones, but doesn't necessarily feel Hitchcockian. Uh, he's, uh, I think he was still finding his feet. It was one of his first American films, I think. But it's it's beautifully shot in places, and it's just this w- wonderfully dark little story. Uh, and of course, he went back to film he went back to de Morio's, uh work to film the birds um she wrote the short story that that was based on as well um but yeah brilliant film quite funny in places but also genuinely very very dark as well and uh uh mrs de winters is my first choice um my second choice is my hipster choice because i'm pretty sure that there will be some crossover um well, there would have been some crossover, and this is my hipster crossover because I'm not going for the the American stroke Italian uh, production that spun out of this. I'm going for the original samurai uh, in the film Yojimbo, uh, directed by Akira Kurosawa, and it is uh, played by Toshiro Mifune, who is 
the Ronin. Um, essentially, the original man with no name from the uh, samurai film from 1961, Yojimbo. If you basically, if you've seen A Fistful of Dollars, you'll know exactly what the story is here, except transport it from the Wild West to feudal Japan. Uh, it's about a lone wandering Ronin uh, who has been released by his uh, employer, I think because he's dead, and he wanders into town and plays off two rival gangs against each other. He's damn cool in this. Uh, and I, The reason I went for this is A, because it's the pretentious hipster choice, mm. uh, and B, because uh, I genuinely think that Yojim, as much as I love A Fistful of Dollars, Yojimbo is the better film, and it's actually one of Kurosawa's best. I, I absolutely love it. Have you reviewed two seen Yojimbo? Unfortunately not, no. Okay, it's definitely one. It's, it's kind of like, because um, Seven Samurai is this huge kind of sprawling epic. This is a really tight, um, just great kind of simmered down version of Seven Samurai. It's a brilliant, brilliant film. Um, and then on to my last choice, uh, which goes all the way into 1995. I've, I've had to leave out some really good ones, but um, in fact, there's another potential one which might come up from this director, but the director I'm talking about is David Fincher on uh, Seven. Um, now, this film is nearly 20 years old, uh, and I don't, I'm, not, I'm still not spoiling anything hugely by saying that there is a character that appears near the end uh, played by Kevin Spacey, and probably the first time Kevin Spacey made a huge impact. It was the same year that The Usual Suspects came out as well, and it was that, that kind of period of time where Kevin Spacey was catapulted into superstardom. He plays... Uh, his character is classed as John Doe, which obviously is uh, what you would call someone who you, is unidentified. We don't actually find out his real name. He is the serial killer who is going round... Uh, killing people according to the seven deadly sins and he just gives himself up for reasons which soon become horrifically apparent but it's a brilliant um it's one of those fantastic it's just a bit longer than a cameo uh but it's it's a short sharp shock of a performance from kevin spacey so that that's my that's my favorite one there I know which one you're thinking of as a crossover, or possibly crossover with the director, but I haven't yeah. gone for that. So. No, no. But I, I, I saw him mentioned on somewhere, um, and I, I do. I think I think Matt might have mentioned him when we were discussing it on the forum or something yeah, like that. I think yeah. So, uh, so what's your your picks? Okay. Well, uh, I didn't go for Yojimbo, but I went for the man with no name. Clint Eastwood yeah. in the yeah. good, the bad, and that's, the ugly. That's crossover. Like See, that. I was just trying to, I was just trying to be all hipster before <laughs> that crossover. Clearly, he is damn cool, uh, especially in the good, the bad, and the ugly. He's great in the earlier films, but if you're putting it, even if you just put him forward on the strength of the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, mm -hmm. yeah, what yeah, a film. I think so. you're right. I mean, he's brilliant throughout the, the three films. He's just so he's just supremely cool through all those mm. those three films. And he's just a damned handsome bastard as well, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I still think, even so, regardless of being just a, a cool guy, he's it's probably his best role, I think, still. Mm. I think he's been in some fantastic movies um, throughout his career, but it's still the good, the bad and the ugly is the one I think of when I imagine Clint Eastwood, you know? 
Yeah. You think of something that some films he's been in. You've obviously got things like Dirty Harry and I yeah. suppose you know in his later career, Million Dollar Baby, that sort of thing. But it's still, it's still those uh, Sergio Leone films that yeah that, that stick in the mind. Um, yeah, but he's, the only name he's given cre- in the credits. I mean, he's kind of he is referred to as Blondie, um, mm. and he's also the Good. But I've, I mm. think nicknames they don't count, do they? I mean, they don't count. No, no. no. Uh, uh, he's the man with no name. Exactly. exactly. As as we saw in this week's new release, the counselor. Everyone calls him the counselor. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think nicknames are fine. Um, yeah. So yeah, no. Don't. I know you're usually the first one to break the rules on these. Areas, <laughs> Done or, you've done fine there. Stuck originally to it with that one, yeah. I think. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a fantastic movie. Probably my favourite Western, if it's technically a Western. Um, we've had this discussion before about spaghetti they Westerns. Yeah, they're Westerns. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they are Westerns. For the purposes they're, they're, of this, aren't they? Yes. It's like saying, is a slasher movie a horror movie, in my opinion? But, yeah. you know, it, okay. it's it's a subgenre of the, the larger Western genre and a damn great one as well. Yeah. If you accept that the Western genre is a genre on its own and not a subgenre well, that... or something else. But anyway, <laughs> we're moving on. <laughs> My next choice is uh, from 12 Angry Men. Um, oh, that was nearly one of mine. Yeah. yeah. So I one. mean, there's 12 of them that I suppose I could have picked any from. Um, but in particular, I am, of course, thinking of Henry Fonda as the voice of the man with the reasonable doubt. He's juror mm. number eight. And he is just a fantastic character. But the, in fact, like I say, could have picked any of them because they're all each in their own way. Each juror is actually quite complex, and obviously they they, they represent different um, emotions and and views across the whole spectrum of of, of humanity, really, and and society. Uh, but yeah, I, Henry Fonda is the lead, in so much as he's the one the main yeah. focus of the story is about, really. Um, but also, I, I always think Lee J. Cobb is, is who's probably most famously known as the cop in The Exorcist. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, he's been brilliant in, in other stuff like uh, he's in On the Waterfront and he's fantastic in that as well. But I think in this, he plays that prejudiced chap who swears that the accused is actually guilty when, when you actually look at it, there's not much evidence for it. Um, but he's just brilliant in this as well, I think. Mm. Almost steals the show at times, but Fonda is the... He's the man. Yeah. He's the main guy, and uh, yeah, the voice of reason, I suppose, is what you, you you think of him as. And he's the closest the film comes to having a standout actor, um, anyway. But he's just a just a brilliant character. Um, but my final choice is uh, Viggo Mortensen as Popper in The Road. Who, Look, I'd, uh, best, oh, I'd best put one of my backup choices in then, or else it's going to be very short. Oh. <laughs> Do you know what? I've still not watched The Road. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's very good, but uh, don't watch it if you're in a bit of a bad mood or yeah. you know, downer. Honestly. Yeah, I've heard it's pretty dark. It's and I, I've also I've got a, a dad friend, you know, uh, and he said, yeah, he watched it after he became a father and uh, yeah, he, he struggled then. Um, and... and Quite apt as well, being uh, based on a Cormac That's, McCarthy. Yeah, one of the reasons I, I pull it in, really, is um, based on that Cormac, Cormac McCarthy story, which is a good book, I think. I hate the, the writing, and it really annoys me, the, the style of writing, but the, the story itself is... is Anyone uh, who doesn't use his apostrophes just annoys me for a start. The whole structure of it just, yeah. It, it's a little <laughs> bit of OCD coming out when I read that, and it's just, yeah. uh, no, you can't structure a sentence that way. But anyway... <laughs> 
Um, he's a great character as well, as all three of them are, I think. Um, he's just a desperate man resorting to kind of desperate measures to, to keep himself and his son alive in this barren, post-apocalyptic wasteland of America as they're heading... Uh, are they heading north, Steve, or heading south? I can't remember. Heading to the coast. Or the coast, yeah, to you know where it's going to be warmer and. Whatever. Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> the, I, I just I, I remember the end of the film. They're at the coast. I'm yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a journey film, really, isn't it? So I mean, they go from one place, and it's about their not so much their actual um, trekking across land, so much as uh, what they go through and etc. Yeah. etc. Et I mean, oh, it's it's a great story in so much as you're automatically sympathising with the popper and, you know, how hard and difficult and sometimes the choices he has to make are virtually impossible, you know. Um, and, and the fact he's just doing his best to look after his son. What makes him quite special and unique is that he isn't a 100% clean good guy. He's not, he's not a hero right. by any means. I mean, he's, some of the stuff he does... He does out of necessity, but there is a certain amount of nastiness about some of it, I think. Mm. And um, it's just... I, I mean, I love Viggo Mortensen anyway. I think he's, a, he's just a brilliant actor. This is probably mm. one of my favourite roles of his. I think it, A History of Violence he's just utterly, utterly brilliant in. But mm. in this as well, it's, it's great. So, yeah, that's my final choice. So did you agree with what I said then, Steve, or you picked him for a different reason? No, that's pretty much why I picked him for that film. Just the the, the character is brilliant, portraying kind of somebody in the worst kind of situation, having to do ultimately ultimately horrible, disgusting and and difficult things, but to make sure that his son survives in mm. uh, a, you know a terrible situation. Yeah, I mean, he is sort of the essence of what is selflessness, isn't it? I mean, he just, um, some of the stuff he does, he's not doing it for himself. He's not doing it for any moralistic reason. It's literally just everything he does in this film is to keep his son alive. And it's, um, it's. I mean, it's it's a very sad, and we've sort of covered it as well, a very grim film. But yeah, mm. you're right. Everything he does is, is, is just a... One of, probably, of the three Cormac McCarthy films... Uh, well, based on Cormac McCarthy stuff that I've seen, he's probably my favourite character of the lot. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's uh, me done. <laughs> my, my choice is Owen took two, so I'll come up with another one quickly. The one that he didn't pick was the inspiration, or one of the inspirations behind this triple bill. It is the Doctor, Doctor Who, whose name uh... he is. We don't know yet. We still don't know. He has got a name, apparently. Um, but it's never been revealed to the public. I've only been in one film um, that starred Paul McGann as the eighth Doctor. Technically, uh, two films in the 60s. Yeah, but they don't really count, do they? Same, is it a, a different, uh, different canon, but same character. Yeah. I think you can add that to your list. I think you uh, can add those. Uh, Peter Cushing, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, did anyone see the... Um, the little teaser for this the special on Saturday with Paul McGann. I did, and I was very happy to see Paul was, McGann back. I thought it was brilliant. I just want to see more of him as a doctor. I mean, yeah. have you have you heard his um, audio, uh, Big Finish no, audio stuff? No. It's really good, actually. He's really good doctor. Like, I just like the line about 
you know, why are we going to the back of the spaceship when it's crashing? Think it through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Paul McGann, yeah, yeah, no, it was nice to see Paul McGann finally get treated with a bit of respect. He was a bit shit on, basically. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I think they were hoping that if that took off in America, that film, that there would be mm. another series, it'd be restarted then, and he would start off as the Doctor then, and yeah. he was very good. Uh, he, was, he was let down by a shocking script, yeah. and Eric Roberts as the master, which is fucking horrible. Um, but, you know, the Doctor's had many great actors, from Tom Baker through to the current incarnation, uh, Matt Smith, David Tennant was excellent, Christopher Eccleston in his, in his, in his one um, series, in the comeback, who kind of doesn't maybe doesn't get enough credit for helping get the series back to where it is now. And then there's Patrick Trout and Sylvester McCoy. John Hurt is now playing a version of the Doctor in the 50th anniversary, and it's just it's a brilliant plot device to keep a series going for so long when actors might want to leave or people in charge fall out with actors and want to get rid of them. Yeah, and there's some great examples of it just through the years. The Five Doctors is another one. Yeah, it's just like whenever an anniversary comes, let's just get loads of people to play the Doctor again. I love it. It's it's silly and it's stupid and it's exactly what Doctor Who should be. It's just, it's just Doctor, Doctor Who. But do they never have like where he goes back in time and he meets himself doing something else as a different incarnation? Is that possible even? In the- and that's, well, that's, it doesn't happen often, but I mean that's it's, what it's, it's rare. It's, it's, it's very rare for him to they've be able act, to do that. Got, he like, stays got, away from it, I think. They've got episodes like the Three Doctors and the Five Doctors, and yeah. in the, in this newest one coming out, I mean David Tennant's back, and so there's the, and John Hurt's in it. So there's going to be three versions of the Doctor in the same storyline. It does happen, but because mm. of not meant, I mean, you're not meant to time travel across your own time stream because it causes yeah. oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> Really. I think it generally only happens by accident, certainly not by design. Time, but then one of, the, one of the doctors in the future is obviously going to know about going back. Yeah. You know, and then he has to yeah. do everything the same. And oh, time travel's a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff. Best, yes. Best, best ignored. <laughs> so yes, uh, that's that's one and. What other one can I make up on the hop as Owen picked up all of mine? Um, I don't know. Let's just let's just go into a discussion now of what ones didn't get picked. I think that would be the easiest thing to do. For the, my, my most difficult one to leave out was uh, Ryan Gosling as the driver um, in Drive because I genuinely love that film and I think he does really well at Annie. He, oh, he's so purdy. <laughs> uh, it's an interesting uh, character though, isn't it? Because yeah. You don't really... I mean, it, okay, My what I've heard, a theory I've heard, and I, I think actually fits quite well, mm. is that he's a bit autistic. You know, he's perhaps got Asperger's maybe. Or, that way, yeah. You know. Um, yeah, no, no. I, I, and he quite possibly played it that way. Um, yeah, no, definitely. He, he's an odd character at times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. And the other one that I had to leave out, because I've spoken about it at length... Uh, and it's Paul McGann as uh, Marwood in With Nell and I, because mm. during the film you never find out who what his name is, and it's only if you've it's only if you've then gone and read the screenplay that you find out he's called Marwood, but no one ever refers to him by any name uh, in in that film. So that was another one that was quite close to my heart. Uh, yeah, Mister Mr. Pink, Mister Blue, and Mister Brown in Reservoir Dogs never get a proper name either. 
Good shapes, mm, yeah. Mm. All, all good. I was thinking as well, the tramp, you know, Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, I thought the tramp as well, but then I thought, I, I don't think I've seen anything. I thought of that, and I thought, I don't, I've only seen The Great Dictator, and he, you know. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, so I haven't seen a lot of the other, and then I thought some of the Buster Keaton stuff, but I kind of, I'm sure he's a character. I, I couldn't remember then, and then yeah. I, I was like, I'd settled on mine anyway. You've, you've got all the, um, all the main characters in Zombieland that that go by the name of the place where they're from, rather yeah. than yes. call themselves <laughs> by their actual yeah. name. Do you want a few off yeah. the forum? We had some from the football three six. Oh yes. yeah, yeah. We had uh, the narrator in Fight Club. That was yeah. from Matt. That, that was my David Fincher crossover yeah. one. Yeah. And we had Captain Birdseye, who said Daniel Craig in Layer Cake. That's a good one. That's a really good one, actually. Uh, and apparently, um, slipping back, that's news I'd forgotten, actually. Sequel to Layer Cake's been announced with um, Jason Statham uh, taking on that role. Uh, Dan Craig's not coming back. I've still not seen Layer Cake, but you've just reminded really me good. of something else. Uh, uh, okay, yeah, Statham. go for it. I saw the trailer for his new film when I went to see The Counselor. Um, which one's that? I've forgotten what it's called. Homefront, is it? Something like that. Oh, right, yeah. that That's a film that's out soon, so I'm assuming it's that one. Yeah. Look any good? It looks really good, actually. Okay. It's proper, proper sort of small-town America getting involved with Statham, who's like an undercover cop yeah. sort of thing. Okay. Uh, have you seen that he's also doing uh, a comedy with Melissa McCarthy? <laughs> no. Yeah. Really? Jason Statham and Melissa McCarthy in some kind of odd couple buddy cop mm. film. It could be awesome. <laughs> I think he's, he, he seems got, like he is a funny guy. Yeah, he's a funny guy. Yeah, I think he'll do quite well in that actually, because you know yeah. stuff like Snatch is brilliant in as the sort yeah. of more comedic and Crank as well. Crank, yeah. yeah. I think he's got a good sense of humour actually. He has definitely got a good sense of humour, so it'd be interesting. But it's an odd career move. It's a strange but... move. <laughs> Uh, but do you know what? It will make more money than any of his other films have recently, apart from maybe The Expendables, though. Yeah. Because films don't generally make that much money, which I was really surprised to find out. He's not He's not actually... He's only box office for a certain small sector of society like us. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, still, I'm, I'm still waiting for his cameo in the new Dumb and Dumber film as, as uh, Lloyd Christmas's brother, as his character from The Expendables, Larry Christmas. <laughs> that, that That is my own made-up fan theory. That'd be awesome. That would be weird. Yeah. That's a weird crossover, isn't it? That is. Let's, let's make it happen. Internet campaign. Oh, uh, speaking of Statham and sort of with yeah. like, his target audience almost, has anyone seen the new Van Damme advert? There's an advert um, he did online. Oh, yes. Viral. Yes, I have, where he's um, straddled across two trucks. Yeah. Two Volvo's yeah. going in reverse, and he does the splits between them. I just thought I'd yeah. put that in there because it is pretty awesome. It is awesome, and he did it as well. It's genuine. There's, there's yeah. no, it's no computer. Ge- there, you know, apparently he was entirely safe the whole time, yeah. but he was straddled and did the splits between two moving trucks, which is going in reverse. Yeah, terrifying. Yeah, it is it's pretty cool. Oh, JCVD. Uh, okay, let's have a break. <laughs> then we'll be back with our three new release reviews. Don. Don John, the butler, and the counsellor. So, of our first three uh, new uh, new release reviews, we'll start with Don John, which James has seen. And here's a clip. Barbara and I, split up. Can you believe it? This is horrible. Well, can you get it back? I don't think so. Well, did you try to call her? She didn't want me to call her. Oh, 
You look what you did. I'm sorry, what do you want me to do? I just want you to be happy. <laughs> That's all. Is that too much to ask? I wasn't happy. A nice wife and some nice kids. Look at me. I look like a grandmother. But do I have any grandchildren? No. I mean, am I a bad mother? Is that what I'm Honey, hearing? Honey, calm down, please. You know, Mom, I don't know if I really want a wife and kids. What do you say? <laughs> you don't mean that. John, say something. All right, all right, all right. What you, would you stop upsetting your mother? What the f*** does it matter with I you? I don't know. Having a family's the greatest joy in a man's life. Everybody knows that. Right, well, then maybe I'm not a man, okay? Because uh, I sure boy. as hell don't want a family. I mean, oh. maybe one day, but not right now. I know that. <laughs> Okay, so that was a clip of Don. John, James, why don't you take us through this one? Uh, yeah, well, um, uh, well, I think I spoke to Carol about this when she did her London Film Festival review section, uh, and she was she was impressed by it. I didn't think it was the most amazing thing in the world, but was impressed by it. And that that's generally the feeling I got from it. Actually, it's um, the directorial debut of Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who also stars as the titular. Don John, who is a uh, New Jersey guy, and as it says on IMDb here, as I've got in front of me, a New Jersey guy dedicated to his family, friends and church, who develops unrealistic expectations from watching porn. He's basically got a porn addiction, um, and is it going to get in the way of his true happiness? Um, it's actually quite a funny film, uh, and it's a, it's a really good script. I, I was really impressed. It's the first film that uh, JGL's written and directed and there was a definite style to it i think that was really important um i i felt like i was watching someone who knew what they wanted to do though he wasn't just putting stuff up on screen he actually had had a very definite style parts of it felt a little bit like edgar wright actually a number of jump cuts and uh you know visual flashy visual tricks like that it worked really nicely parts of the film felt like you were in a routine he kept talking about his routine and actually i'd it would need me to go and take a second look at the film but i'd really like to take a look at the order of the scenes because i think there was a pretty much a predetermined order of okay he's going to he's in his car he's going to church he's going to his gym and i think they were they kind of came along in a quite a regular order um and if that is true then that was really nicely done if it's not true well the fact that it made me feel like that was still pretty nicely done as well um so yeah joseph gordon levitt stars and scarlett johansson plays uh the woman of his dreams essentially who he um he first has to woo really hard and then has she comes face to face with his porn addiction and that and the issues that that causes what i did find very interesting is that when i sat in the cinema and the opening credits came up and julianne moore's uh name came third i thought i don't remember seeing julianne moore in any of the trailers or mentioned in any of this beforehand and she's actually a massive part of this and and probably steals a lot of this film she she's brilliant in it and I think part of that is because the film isn't quite um, as it has been marketed. It's it's one of these films where it's been marketed as a very kind of it's a it's a bloke's film about porn and about Scarlett Johansson looking fit and don't we all want to be Joseph Gordon-Levitt, you know? Um, and actually, at the heart of it, it's quite a sweet story and. I'm not going to give too much away, but Julianne Moore plays a, quite a big part of this story as well. Um, so that that's quite interesting. It, it wasn't what I expected, but it was 
genuinely enjoyable. A um, little bit uneven in its pacing at times. Um, dragged a little bit in places, despite only being a 90-minute film, but picked up again. Um, not sure it had too much to say at times. It's not a deeply profound film. It's just it's an, ent- it's an entertaining directorial debut. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt is charming in it, as he usually is. I know some people have got an issue with how smug he is. I, I, I quite like I quite like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I think uh, he's a good actor, and he, he's he's very good in this. He does he doesn't come across as Joseph Gordon-Levitt either. He he feels like a fully formed New Jersey character, um, which which was nice. I didn't feel like I was just watching him. A lot of people. I think it was um, Duke, who's one of our followers on Twitter. He went to see this, and uh, he said it was it it was quite a vanity project. And in a way, that's true. And to be honest, uh, if I was Joseph Gordon-Levitt and I was writing a film and I could write a part which meant that Scar- Scarlett Johansson had to basically kiss me a lot, <laughs> I would do that as well. <laughs> um, I've got no argument with, with him. But it, it is quite interesting. And you do think, he's really good looking already. You know, he doesn't he doesn't need to write films to get people like Scarlett Johansson kissing him, but... He does, um, but she, she's also very good. All the all the performances are great, and I would say of the the minor performances are really good in this as well. Tony Danza plays his dad, and he's hilarious. And seeing the two of them sat around the dinner table, both in their wife beaters, um, being all New Jersey, it's really yeah, that's funny. His mum um, played by um, uh, Glenn Headley. She's she's fantastic as well and Brie Larson um, who's great whenever I see her she plays his uh, teenage sister as well well not teenage kind of slightly younger sister um, the only th- yeah like I say the only thing I would say is it's not quite what it's been set out to be but really enjoyable and interestingly um, considering this is the same week in which I saw a film from one of the most celebrated wordsmiths working in literature and Hollywood and someone who has made countless films, this had a, a voice and uh, a snappiness to it that was, wasn't was necessarily present in the work of people with a hundred times more experience. Um, so that was quite nice. Yeah, I, I really wanted to see Don John, but like most other films I really want to see, it didn't come to, to my local cinema. Um but I think I picked it as one of my previews. You did. So I'm going to have to try and find it somewhere. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm glad yeah. it worked out for you. Uh, yeah, no, no. It, no, it's genuine. I, I think it... Do you know what? I actually think it would be quite a good date movie, despite the fact it's an 18 and there's a huge amount of pornogram, pornographic material in it. That's, this is what I mean. It's actually... At one point, there's this sequence where it's lampooning... Um, uh, kind of chick flicks and women's loves of chick flicks and stuff actually in at its heart it's not too dissimilar um to that kind of movie which which was really interesting but done in a really nice way okay uh second up in this trio of, of reviews is the butler um the uh based loosely on um a real story starring forrest whitaker as the butler, uh, Cecil Gaines, 
And so, did they, oh, they, I was going to say they gave him a name, did they? Or was this another unnamed yeah. main character? No, no, no. He, he actually has a name. And, and starring many, many other kind of big recognisable names. Uh, here's a clip. Drown out the flavor, and Dill bring up the flavor. That's what you taste right now. Okay. Yeah, I like it. Girl, you must be so proud to see so. You know he got that job himself. The White House called him. He didn't call the White House. I want to hear all the stories. I don't know how many stories you're gonna hear, cause they done swore him to some kind of secret code, and he can't tell me nothing. Oh no, 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 no. Where are you giving it to him, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So that was a clip of the Butler then. Uh, like I said, it was based. Loosely on a true story or a, a real life story um, of Eugene Allen, who was a butler in the White House for over 30 years. Now that is pretty much where the the, the similarities in the characters end. There is there is basically the only similarities between Eugene Allen, the real person who's done this job, and Forrest Whitaker's character Cecil Gaines, is that they were both black butlers who worked in the White House for 30 plus years. Uh, everything else is different, which is fine. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, it doesn't pretend to be a, a, a biopic of Eugene Allen, and that's fine. It, it, you know, um, it's uh, <clears throat> like I said, it stars many big names. Forrest Whitaker in the main role. Oprah Winfrey plays his wife. David Oyelowo is that how you say it? Plays his son. Um, Mariah Carey plays his mother. Terence Howard. Is in the film too. Alex Pettifer, Vanessa Redgrave, Cuba Gooding Jr., Lenny Kravitz, Robin Williams is Dwight Eisenhower. James Marsden is JFK. Lee Schreiber is Lyndon Johnson. John Cusack is uh, Richard Nixon. Alan Rickman is Ronald Reagan, and Jane Fonda is his wife Nancy. So it's big, big pedigree in the mm. it's a um, massive cast. Yeah, massive ensemble cast. Now, from from the from the trailer, you kind of get the idea. Uh, or the impression that the presidents, the people playing the presidents, are going to be a big part of this film, and, and the relationship between the butler and the presidents are a big part of this film. It's not. The, the people playing the presidents, the big names, Robin Williams, Rickman, um, Schreiber, etc., barely in it, to be honest. Um, it probably makes for a better film, uh, even though they do do good impressions of the presidents that they're portraying, you know, mimic them well, especially Alan Rickman. Um, as mm. Ronald Reagan, um, but they're, they're not important. The story really is twofold. It's about the civil rights movement in America more than anything, and it's about um, how Cecil Gaines thinks that change should be brought about working in the White House, and how his son thinks that change should be brought about, who ends up going to college, being um, becoming involved in the civil rights movement itself, being involved with Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, becoming involved with the Black Panthers briefly, and then he gets into politics himself. And, and then it's also about the relationship between, mostly, Cecil, his wife, um, and their relationship with their oldest son, who basically, they don't agree with what he's doing. I think they agree with ultimately the end game of what he's doing, trying to get equal rights for, for black people and everybody, but they don't agree the way he's going about it and you know, they don't speak for many years and everything. And when they do speak, they don't get on. Um, I enjoyed it. I think a lot of people, me included, and um, we definitely mentioned it between ourselves. It looked like the kind of film that was 
that would be Oscar baiting um, and a bit schmaltzy, and it isn't in in any way. Um, <coughs> which... but no, that's that's interesting, Steve, because like yeah. you say, it just feel it it even. I, I've, I'll be honest, I've not even watched the trailer yet. It's just the whole film, the idea of the film feels like it was it's a, it's designed for that. It's, it's a trailer and kind of, you know, premise does give off the wrong impression, but mm. through watching it, I definitely didn't get the feel that, you know, there's some films, uh, I'm trying to think of think of examples, but I suppose maybe some, something like a Will Smith film like Seven Pounds or what was the other one? Mm. Um, Seat um, of Happiness. Where those you can kind of see, yeah, that's gearing up for an Oscar. That's specifically, you know, it might be a good yeah. film, whatever your opinion of it, but you can see elements of that's going for an Oscar. This one, I didn't really get that. I never, I never really felt, um, you know, this is, this is Oscar baiting or anything like that. Although it is the kind of film that you could see getting nominated. And there are certainly a, a couple of performances in there that you could see, you know, making you know best best mm. male or best supporting actor uh, at the Oscars. Yeah. But it's, well, I've I heard pretty good things about Oprah Winfrey in it. Yeah, very good. Considering she's not an actress, I mean, I know she's got acting pedigree from the from the Color Purple. Mm. She did she win an Oscar or just get nominated for that? I she uh, was nominated for best supporting actress. I mean, obviously, she's got pedigree as an actress, but she's not an actress by any means. Mm. She's a she's a chat show host. I mean, yeah. I know it's obviously a subject matter which is very close to her, um, as it probably was to a lot of the cast, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's very close to her, and she obviously has done a lot of, of stuff around the area. She she was very good as, as Cecil Gaines' wife. I mean, it wasn't like you were watching somebody who's not an actress. It wasn't mm. ever, um, that you weren't watching an actress. Um, okay. But I mean, the the two main things we really did get a good feel of, of the strained relationship between her Cecil at times, and between them and their son Lewis, um, played by uh, David O'Ware, whose name I keep mm. saying wrong. Um, but yeah, you, you definitely get a really good sense of that, and you get a really good sense of when you see the Lewis on. You know, there's 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 a there's certain scenes where he's, you know, in the civil rights movement on a freedom bus and they end up getting attacked by the Ku Klux Klan. And there's other scenes where you see him get attacked in diners because he refuses to sit in the, the coloured section. And you really get a feel for how horrible and scary and frightening and disgusting it was mm. at the time for, for those people to be in. You, you do get a really good feel of how it does come across really well, how horrible it was. And it, and it kind of makes you. It, it did as well for me. Want to read up more on that part of history that I don't really know anything about, other than the kind of key names and a few mm. dates. It makes you want to sort of look into it more to see what you know, see what it was all all about. But overall, yeah, a very good film. Um, not not really along the lines of the what the trailer might give you the impression of. Really worth watching. Um, although I don't think it's good enough to be Oscar worthy. I think a cut Forrest Whitaker was brilliant. Oprah Winfrey was very good. And David what's name was also really good as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think those two, um, Forrest Whitaker and David Oyewo could be in line for Oscar nominations, but I don't think the film itself should be, should be nominated for best film. Although I could see it's getting there because it is that kind of film, even though it doesn't kind of beg to be. Cool. Um, uh, 
Also, Mariah Carey is only in it for two scenes, and she doesn't really do a lot, so you don't really notice that it's Mariah Carey. Nice. So, <laughs> I know James was worried about that. So I was, because he, he cast her in Precious as well, and. Uh... Well, well basically, uh, basically, she she plays um, Cecil's mum, but he grows up on a on a cotton farm. Um, Mariah Carey plays his mum. What happens is she gets raped by the farm owner or the son of the farm owner, um, and then goes mute. She becomes mad, you know, not mad crazy like him, but you know, she just goes. She doesn't talk anymore. Um, oh, yeah. she, after she gets raped, he then shoots her husband, Cecil's dad, kills him. And it, and it makes her, you know, mad, depressed, whatever. So you basically see her in two scenes, getting taken off to where she gets raped, and then, then sat there not talking when Cecil decides to move to um, Washington. Nice. Uh, so, you, yeah, she doesn't really have any kind of... Although her character is obviously important to what happens to mm. Cecil, she, she doesn't really do a lot in the film. Seems like um, small... Sounds like a bunch of laughs. <laughs> There are actually a few good lines. There are a few laughs in there as well. And there are a few good lines. That is, yeah. Cuba Gooding Jr. is actually very good as well. And that is, is, um, as Cecil's boss turned friend. who also works at the White House. I've been waiting for him to come back. His career went to shit. So it, it really did. Um, it really, uh, it, really did. He was, he was good in this. And it was kind of okay. good. Oh, that's good. It, it was good to see him in a good film. Um, being good rather than a crap yeah. film being crap. Uh, anyway, that's the Butler. Definitely worth seeing. Um, although your opinion of it may may vary on how good you think it is. Uh, the Counselor uh, is has been seen by James and Owen. Here is a clip. I suppose I could ask you if you've got a rat in your pocket. You're not serious. Well, when was the last time you tried to call him? Yesterday. Why? Why? Because I couldn't reach him now, all right? <laughs> what are you going to do? I don't know. What are you? I don't know. That's what Westray said, but he did know, didn't he? What are you going to use for money? I've got some money. I don't think so. If you had any serious money, you wouldn't be this jackpot in the first place. I might. Ah, uh, yeah? Well, <laughs> I know why I'm in it. Do you? Sure, same as you, greed. Yeah. Now you got in trouble. You got in trouble. I tried to appeal to your greed two years ago. No deal. Now it's too late. It's too late. That was a clip of the counselor starring um, James's favorite, the Fass, among others. <gasps> yeah. Why don't you two crack on with talking about this? Uh, well, do you want to introduce it, Owen? Yeah, sure. Okay, I'll introduce it. I've got some um, points that I want to discuss with you as well, James, just to see what your opinion is of it. Because I know this film. It, first of all, I'm just going to say before we say anything else about it, it has been. I was going to say it's been extremely divisive, but only in so much as there's a huge number of people who seem to absolutely hate this film, and then yeah. there's some people who have said, "Oh, it's not that. It's not as bad as those people say." Yeah, and it's really difficult to find anyone going, I loved it. Yeah, I haven't seen anyone so far who's just come out and said it was absolutely fantastic or anything like that. Um, but anyway, yeah, okay, so what, what's it about? It's about, uh, from IMDb's page for the counsellor, it's literally described in one and a half lines. A lawyer finds himself in over his head, 
when he gets involved in drug trafficking. That is essentially all you need to know about the counsellor. Yeah. Um, but the cast in it, I think it's got a really strong cast. As um, Steve's already sort of alluded to, you've got uh, Fassbender. Um, you've also got Cameron Diaz, who puts in... Well, we'll come on to her performance. Like, yeah. She puts in a performance. Um, yeah. <laughs> you've got Javier Bardem, Brad Pitt, uh, Penelope Cruz is in it as well. Um, so, I mean, it's got quite a lot of recognisable faces, as well as some quite a few cameos from people as well. Yeah, Bruno Gans, uh, it was the one that I definitely, you know, a nice cameo that I picked up. It was John... Le- John Leguizamo was in it, yeah. Yeah, that, I, I thought that was him, was, in, in this tiny little role, and I was like, it yeah, can't be him. He was in just He's a been time... in it for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought. Well, I'm, there's a point I'm going to ask you about that, because it's something I picked up on, I want to see yeah. as well, but okay. I've got, like I say, I've got a list. We'll do it systematically, shall we? Yeah, nice. Yeah. Um, but he was in a scene with Hank Schrader from Breaking Bad. And they, yes, like, yes, I recognised him from the one episode of Breaking Bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was that was a bit odd. I thought they were going to be in it more, but it's... Yeah, anyway. Um, okay, so... First point I've got here, James. Did you like it? Do you know what? It's weird. I, I didn't love it, and I didn't hate it. And I kind of loved and hated bits of it, and I, I can't make my mind up on it at all. Okay. I, I've it's it's a fair to middling film for me at the moment. Yeah, um, it's certainly nowhere near as bad as some people have tried to make out. It's not the car crash that a lot of people almost kind of gleefully wanted it to be, which I, I never want a film to be no. bad. Uh, but it seems like ever since Prometheus, a lot of people are really gunning for Ridley Scott and kind of wanted this to be horrible. And it's not. It's not a horrible film. No. Um, I mean, for me, for for the later sort of Ridley Scott films, I think it's actually pretty good. I mean, I like yeah. um, I like Prometheus anyway. I thought Prometheus yeah. was one of the better sci-fi films from the past few years. Yeah. Um, but compared to stuff like American Gangster and Robin Hood, this is. Mm. I think The Counselor's much better than those two. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, yeah. I didn't think I, some, no, no, I, I I agree with you. It's it's not it's not going to be on my end of year list of my favourite films of 2013, uh, which is which I think the biggest part of this um, this critical slagging it's had is that there is a huge amount of talent concentrated here, and it does feel like a missed opportunity. I will say that. It really does feel like a missed opportunity. The fact we've got a very adult 18-rated film directed by Ridley Scott, written by Cormac McCarthy, his first ever spec script, and with that cast, you the issue, I think, is you expect better. And I, Yeah, it's got... It has a, yeah, I mean, it has a lot of expectation upon its yeah. shoulders, doesn't it? And, yeah, exactly. I think and it, to, it's a victim of its own expectation, I think. Yeah, that's. I think that's fair. I mean, I've, one of the other things I seem to pick up on in the reviews... And I, I noticed it first, actually, when I watched the film, and then I sort of read about it, and I thought, okay, yeah, so other people have picked up on that too, is that it is pretty obnoxiously misogynistic. Yeah, I, I picked that up when I was watching I was watching it thinking, God, Cormac McCarthy's got a real issue with women. That's what I uh, thought. I mean, but I can't believe he actually hates women. So the only... the only just He is like 80, though. They've got weird <laughs> views when you get to that age. Uh, the thing is... The the other big issue for me is um, it's this classic whore and virgin dichotomy, and that's yeah. it. Women are either whores or virgins, and they're not to be trusted. Uh, and it, it's it's interesting because it actually does pass the uh, the the 
Bechdel test. Is it Bechdel or Bechdel? I've, uh, I've only ever seen Bechdel. it down. Yeah. Bechdel, yeah. It does pass the Bechdel test, but it, it, which goes to show how the Bechdel test isn't the be-all and end-all of working out you know, feminism in cinema and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, it... It's a pretty, it's a pretty ropey in terms of its, its views of women. I will be honest with you. I've there. not read up and any that of. Make you feel a bit bad. Yeah, I, same here. After I was watching, it's it only really when I was thinking about it afterwards because you've only seen it today, haven't you? Yeah. And I sort of, yeah. I saw it yesterday, and I sort of had the had a, a night's sleep on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, the only thing I can think of really is that it's purposefully written to be quite a misogynistic film and if it's purposefully written that way well there's only two reasonable explanations for that either Cormac McCarthy really does feel that way about women um, or what I'm probably leaning more towards is that he's trying to make a point about something and if he's trying to make a point what is the point he's making and is it just that he's trying to say well mm. why do you think that's bad why is it bad what what are they saying that's making you think they're, you know, that there's something wrong here and if it's doing that, then I kind of have a bit more respect for it because I think it's yeah, it's trying to make you question things and what I I'll be my my take on it was that not that he hates women, but that he can't write women, and that that was that was general. I felt it was more a kind of technical failing yeah. of you know, and having um, and to be honest, it's actually I've only seen No Country for Old Men out of stuff that his work mm. has been adapted into, but. Uh, maybe a lot some writers have this issue some writers can write uh really convincing male characters they just can't inhabit a female character and maybe that's maybe that's the issue is the fact that maybe he doesn't really care not he hates women but he's just not bothered about them in but then terms he, of his storytelling but then purpose, he has but, put them as like main characters yeah, in this film and they're just they're just not well written that's no. Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, that's the other thing with all that's of the it. Characters. Are they purposefully written like that, or is it just his failings as a writer? Precisely, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't think he gets to be as successful as he is if he's, you know, genuinely. Um... I don't know. Michael Bay manages to be pretty successful and be a massive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just the fair point. I suppose I'm going to have to. Um, but um, yeah. I mean, just sort of alluding to the other characters as well, yeah. uh, or the characters in it as well. Um, I thought they were all just complete and utter twats, the, the whole lot of them. I, I didn't no like sympathy. any of None of them, no. And there, some of them are just pretty much caricatures. They're not... Even he, Fassbender's yeah. character as the counsellor was just yeah. paper thin. Yeah, there wasn't, a, there wasn't a lot to add, which is weird considering most of the film is people sat around talking. Yeah. That, 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 and we'll come on to that. Um, you don't learn a lot about people's motivations okay, yeah. or what drives them and and yeah they're 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 an unsympathetic bunch yeah um i mean I, even laura played by penelope cruz this kind of this innocent hmm. in the game difficult to have too much sympathy for because you don't get a chance to get to know her no you absolutely know nothing about her what she does or why she's with fassbender how she met yeah. him why is she, yeah. why does she love him? What what is it that attracts it? Is she quite materialistic actually, or is she? <laughs> he did seem a complete and utter, like I said, twat in this. Yeah. Um, when you see him near the beginning and he's um, wearing uh, slacks uh, and no socks with uh, <laughs> shoes, that that yeah. for me, oh, that nail it. in the coffin. End of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's smile as well in this. I don't know why. It's the first time I've noticed. He's got a very. Uh, Aggressive, passive, aggressive smile in this. Yeah, 
Yeah. What a teeth. Yeah. Um, but uh, Javier Bardem, I thought, was actually brilliant. I thought he was a really he was good really... actor. He had a, he had the most interesting character in some yeah. as I want a character I wanted to see more of. Um, he should have gotten a lot more screen time than he actually did. Yeah. But... This character with this huge outer confidence, but clear vulnerabilities yeah. inside and uh, self-doubt. Expressed uh, no better than in a scene involving Cameron Diaz, where he's relating the story. Yeah, That's and it. what I will say is I, I found out about that story before I went to watch it. A lot of oh, okay. it seems to have been a story about a lot. Of, all, all I will say is that there is some kind of weird sexual activity with a car. Yes. It is the most bizarre... It's, and, and it was hilarious, me, though. It, and, and part terrifying. of me loves this film for those small moments. Um, the fact that we... The fact that there are a couple of cheaters hanging around in a load of scenes and they never do anything. <laughs> and I, and I, I kind of admire the film for being a bit weird. Uh, you know, the fact is, it could have been a straight-up thriller and they could... They, they could have put more action in, and they could, but it's it's an odd film. Yeah, a lot of it and is simple. I admire its oddity. Yeah, well, the oddities are like I was just about to say. There's a lot of uh, symbolism in it, and I think the oddities, like particularly stuff like the cheetahs, you know, yeah, they're hunters, but they're also covered in jewelry. They've got like designer collars on and stuff like that. That's yeah. just obviously supposed to represent the characters in the film. And they just, yeah. you know, there's lots of stuff like that. If you if you look hard enough, you could probably find the whole film is just all made up of things like that and no yeah. real substance to it. Yeah. But uh, but I, I kind of did like it. I have to I, admit, you know, there was. There was uh, no, I admit, I, I didn't find it dull. Um, yeah, I was because there's a difference between not a lot happens, but it's not dull. No. I was glued to it all the way through, yeah. I think. Even though there were times when I thought bits of it just give me the impression that half of the film is probably lying on Ridley Scott's cutting room floor. I know he's notorious for this kind of thing anyway. Yeah. Um, but st- there's, there's stuff like we mentioned with, uh, I can't remember the guy's name who, who plays him, but Hank Schrader from Breaking Bad yeah. and the John LeGuizmo. What are they actually there for? What was the, the point of them? Yeah, so pre- presumably was, there, there must were, have been more to it, and they would just had their parts cut short. That's um, I, I don't know how there has been some cuts, and um, you can buy the um the original screenplay on uh, Amazon for your Kindle and stuff right. now because I know they're um uh, the Shiznit, which is a really good site. Um, they've done a comparison basically okay. looking at the original screenplay and that, and a few details were left out. Um, but not that much. And really? it seems to me part of part of it was that Cormac McCarthy really wanted to make it difficult for you to piece what is going on. Yeah, because what there's there's a very stylistic thing mm. where um you hear the one side of telephone calls a lot, and that that's a, that was a real style. That's obviously a decision they've made to um only show one character speaking on the phone, and you've got to guess how the conversation's going just from their one side and you and that's a good point there's no, i mean there's no point where you then definitely find out you've got to go well i think that's what was going on there. yeah they do they, you, that's a good point i mean they do resist having you know fast bend on the other side of the phone for example 
saying, oh, so you want me to meet where? And who's going yeah. to come with you? And I, uh, okay, so I understand. So what was that? You want me to pick up what from the shop? That yeah. kind of thing. They they do definitely avoid any, um, you know, typical <laughs> movie telephone conversations, yeah. which is good. But like you say, it, perhaps does it a bit too uh, heavy handed. So it's yeah. you do oh, get to points where you're not really sure what's going on actually i lost myself a couple of times i I just had to go well i'm just going to wait for the next scene hopefully yeah. to tell what's happening here because i'm not yeah i'm not entirely sure who's doing this and why and like you say that whole scene up in chicago with le guismo and uh hank straight i was like hang on is that it yeah. <laughs> um it was it was re- there were a few moments like that. The other thing that really comes across is um it it's all very well for directors and screenwriters to have a trademark verbal style which doesn't bear much resemblance to reality. Mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino is one for example. People don't talk in real life like they talk in Quentin Tarantino films, but it works in his universe and you believe it and you know the, he sells it well enough. Aaron Sorkin's another one. People don't talk like Aaron Sorkin characters in real life, but in that universe it works. In Cormac McCarthy's universe, everyone is some kind of postgraduate philosopher in all sorts of fucking nonsense, even down to um, foreign bar staff with English as their second language can uh, can are just ridiculously eloquent on <laughs> fate <laughs> and responsibility, and it 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 almost got it was almost a parody of itself by the end when the latest character who I've not met before and I'm only going to spend a couple of minutes with him and he just delivers this soliloquy about um, responsibility and things going bad, bad things happening to good people and stuff like that. And it is, it's bizarre. And some of the lines you hear must have sounded great on paper. And there's one quite near the beginning where Cameron Diaz delivers this line about, Truth doesn't have a temperature, and it's just like, oh god, no, that's that's horrible. That's yes. clunky as hell. It was, um, but all of then, the, I was going to make a point as well about Cameron Diaz, just to single her out, yeah. really, because a lot of her delivery, um, it was just weird. She would just, you know, the, the, the way she would kind of look to the cam, well, not look to the camera, but yeah. sort of her facial expression would change halfway through a sentence. I'm not sure that really worked, to be honest. No. Um, what's even funny, apparently she did it in a hugely um, hard to understand uh, Barbados patois. Yeah. Um, and she and the studio executive said she had to go back and re-record it because she sounded like Rihanna. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I kind of wish they'd left it, actually, because that might, that might have made it a bit more interesting. But she had some bizarre lines. Um yeah, that just didn't feel they just didn't fit with her character at all, no. and and that kind of fits into my theory, and maybe I'm forcing it into my theory about how Cormac McCarthy can't write women, um, which is a big accusation to make a, of a Pulitzer winning, <laughs> yeah, Pulitzer Prize winning author. Um, but I don't know that character, and considering how pivotal that character is, mm. I had no idea about motivation, and that again that's a failing somewhere either through editing or through the the original script um yeah you just you 
she is this huge pivotal character and there should be a load of there should be some mystique but I just ended up at the end of the film I knew nothing more about her by the end of the film no. well there's and one scene where it feels like me. they're trying to force a little bit of background into her during mm. a confession scene yes and it's like well you've still not really said anything about her you know no. you're showing that she follows through on some of the stuff she hints at so you've got yeah. to understand she's a very serious person, even if she presents herself as being quite, um, uh, you know, eccentric <laughs> to a point. Yeah. She's still very, actually, quite frightening. But And it's another thing as well to just have Javier Bardem tell you repeatedly, she's a very scary character. Oh, I don't really know. I can't, I don't really know what yeah. she's like. So, well, fine, but why? Yeah, show us some, yeah, show us some examples of that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, one thing I do want to say, is, as a positive of the film, and I suppose this is the most damning thing of the Cormac McCarthy script, is that for me the best moments of the film are there's a few unscripted action moments mm. that actually, or, or the build-up to action moments. There's a fantastic scene... Um, which I think has been used in the trailer a lot, and I'm not going to go too much into it, but it's uh, you know setting up this roadside trap. Um, that was a brilliant scene. There's a fantastic um, gunfight, mm. uh, just a really nicely edited, shot and performed gunfight um, with no words in it. And then another scene, um, I'm, I'm not going to spoil anything, just involving... Uh, Brad Pitt and impending doom, uh, you know, music <laughs> and you know, uh, and again, all of these scenes, you you kind of felt that they were coming and you knew they were, and if you were following, yeah, you know, they were the the more telegraphed scenes, but they they worked really really well, and it did make me think, do you know what, really still can direct a good film, it's just he's just not directing. He's just not directing for the to use a football. He's not playing for the whole ninety minutes at the moment. He kind of, yeah. You know, we get flashes of genius from him at the moment, and some decent stuff, and then some poor stuff. And I, I'm, I'm sure there's still a genuinely brilliant, brilliant film left in him. I just hope time's not running out because there, there were some great bits there. Uh, what the other thing I do want to mention, Brad Pitt, he seems to be coasting a little bit recently. Um, well, I quite liked him in this. I have... he, I, no, I quite liked him in this, but in the same way that I quite liked George Clooney, I, I, I quite like. I quite I think I quite liked him because I quite like him, but right. he he felt. I I'll be. It felt like I was watching Brad Pitt, and that, I was happy because I like watching Brad Pitt. But I've spent the last few films that I've seen Brad Pitt in thinking I quite like watching Brad Pitt, and I haven't seen anything that's made me go, "Oh, he's making me think." I'm I'm. He's making me believe in a character. And uh, I'll, I'll be if this just felt a bit quite like Rusty from Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it felt like a slightly darker version of him. Whereas in um, old film last year, uh, uh, killing them softly, killing them softly. That that to me actually. So I say coasting recently. Uh, that's a bit unfair because he was absolutely brilliant in killing them softly. Um, but. Like, well, maybe, yeah, it's, I know what maybe it's my fault maybe it's because he's such a famous face it's difficult not to see Brad Pitt on, on screen now I don't know I mean it's common criticism of uh, Brad Pitt isn't it that he just uh, turns up to films and plays mm. Brad Pitt playing so and so and he never used to no he definitely yeah, I he mean, used if you... to be a lot more adaptable and uh, you know 
Twelve Monkeys, for example. That's yeah. not a Brad Pitt performance. You know? Interview so, with a Vampire as well, you know? Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. He's not really um, Brad Pitt as we know him in that. And, um, no, no. But, you know, um, yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a good point. I still think he's... Um, I still think he's a good actor, though. He's, oh, yeah, and he's good in this. I, I'm just... I'm just... Again, yeah. I'm being picky <laughs> because I wanted this to be so much better, and it's not bad. I just wished it could have been loads better. Yeah. I think that's fair. It is a film that automatically puts you onto the defensive as well. Cause, yeah. Because, like we've already talked about, the, ex- the expectation and the fact that a lot of people have already slagged it off. But I like it. I thought I, I thought it was a good film. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, that's all for our review of new releases this week. Um, I have a quick little break. Come back with some recommendations for you to watch during the week. Alright, so recommendations for the next seven days or so. Uh, I'm going to kick us off with, quite simply, watch the Doctor Who 50th anniversary special on BBC <laughs> One on Saturday night. It should, in theory, be amazing. Um, so, stick that on. Yeah, and you can go to the cinema and watch it as well. You can. You can go and watch it in 3D at the cinema. Yeah, I'm not going 3D, to. But... Followed, uh, I bet it'll... I've just got this feeling that it'll be a really, you know, if you're in a full cinema, it's going to be full of idiots watching it. I don't know why, I've just got this feeling that if you went to watch that at the cinema, it's going to be like a, there'll be a lot of kids and there's going to be a lot of people with snacks that make lots of noise. <laughs> yeah, do you know what, it's a bit, it, 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 it's exactly the situation I have at Christmas where no one else in my family really likes it, so I kind of watch it with a load of shit going on around me, and then Later on at night, when I'm on my own, I sit down and watch it properly. But I get, um, and that's you what know, you might want to do with the cinema. If you go to the cinema, make sure you've taped it so you can go home and sit down quietly and properly watch it and catch all the things you missed because idiots shaved like, it over a bit. But you it. know how, like, yeah, last week we were saying, go and watch Gravity on the biggest mm. screen you can, IMAX or whatever. In, in this case, it's the opposite. If you've got a good telly at home, just watch it at home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, James... You're recommending Blackfish again, I believe. Yeah, I fucking am. <laughs> Until everyone who listens to this podcast... Do you know what I'm getting... At the moment, I'm currently planning the end-of-year polls because I love end-of-year polls. <laughs> uh, and and I'm, very, I'm very tempted um, when it comes to polling um, our, our writers and our podcasters and everything like that for on the subject of best documentary of the year. I'm, I'm genuinely... A, thinking of putting at the moment a little tick box at the moment going okay there's your top three but have you seen blackfish uh because i'm sorry it's fucking brilliant and um it's on it's on tv that you've got no excuse now people it's going to be on bbc4 on thursday night at nine o'clock so i'm going to get this out on a wednesday night so you've got 24 hours to get yourself ready but and uh, we'll put it on twitter as well um it's going to be on bbc4 it's free it's 90 minutes. It is one of the most important and powerful documentaries I have seen for a few years. Absolute blackfish. It's about a killer whale that actually kills people. Come on. <laughs> and our pick is? Well, I, I've gone for two that are on TV as well on Thursday. 
So you might just have to set these to record. Or if Blackfish, I know James is really pressuring everybody to watch it. Yeah. It does seem like a totally depressing and angry film that will make you very angry. So yes. if you're not in that kind of mood and you just want to record it and watch it when you're feeling a bit better, there's sort of a Brad Pitt double bill, actually, on Thursday evening. Okay. 9pm on Five Star, you've got Ocean's Eleven. Um, nice. Yeah, very good heist film. Um, and the film we've already sort of mentioned, actually, at 10pm um, on, uh, actually, what channel? Comedy Central it's on, if you've got that channel, is Snatch. So... Dude. Oh God, yeah, forget him in Snatch. That's what I'm talking about. Just becoming a completely different character. Yeah. No, that's right. He's great in Snatch. He's fantastic. Yeah. So, um, two. Oh, he, he has. Has he got a name in that, or is he just the pikey? Can I change my triple bill? <laughs> anyway, I'm gonna look that up really quickly. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, there's two Brad Pitt films on two of his best. I think if you're um, in the mood for them. Excellent. Well, I think that's all for um, this week's Failed Critics podcast. I'd like to thank everyone who has listened and everyone who has uh, contributed in any way to the making of this podcast. And we'll just see... interrupt you there, Steve. He's called Mickey O'Neill, not the Pikey. Uh, just, I know. I know that some listeners would have been really frustrated if we didn't give them that answer. <laughs> um, uh, next week, Steve. Um, shall I tell what we're doing next week? Go on then. Yeah, because um, I'm quite excited, and Owen's going. Owen's heart's sinking, and he's not even going to get involved in this. I bet. Um, uh, Hunger Games: Catching Fire is out. That's going. That's going to be our our big review next week, starring weirdly. And who would have thought this um, when the first Hunger Games film came out? Hunger Games: Catching Fire, starring Oscar-winning actress Jennifer Lawrence. Um, so yeah, and and loads of other really good actors. I'm I'm quite excited, and there'll be some other films as well. Okay, yes, so uh, join us next week for that and more. The failed critics are James Diamond, Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, with original music provided by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, at Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritics and on Twitter at at failedcritics. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Uh, well, I don't think it's him. No, all right. Him. No, yeah. Okay. okay, I'll carry on. Uh, next one is The Losers. James. Yeah. It's not Idris Elba, is it's it? It's Idris Elba, yeah. Fucking yeah. 2-0. <laughs> 
Oh, Steve, got to bring your game, yeah. son. Got to bring your game. Melbourne in 28 weeks later. Apparently. Yeah, apparently. Uh, I don't remember him. Being no, this is just going from his um, IMDb profile. Yeah, he was someone called I, Stone. I know he's on. I know he was, I know he was on Crime Watch in Reconstructions, which still amazed me, especially Racist. as he's especially as he's now playing Stella. Yeah. The, a big Hollywood movie, and his first gig was Reconstructions on Crime Watch. That's nice. Coming That's a nice way, journey. Yeah. yeah. It's it's even better than when you like see British actors starting out on the Bill or Casualty or Grange Hill and making it in Hollywood. Yeah, because yeah, no one's meant to no one's meant to actually be you know, have a great acting career after a crime watch re- reconstruction. No, that's to, that's I'm nice. Have, I'm gonna have to try and find these reconstructions now on YouTube or something of yeah. him in Crime Watch. Anyway, yes, James, now <laughs> two up the quiz. Um, yeah. I am yeah. well. You're all gonna watch a penis documentary when I win. <laughs> Owen, See, just, Steve, Owen, you're just going to throw it in next week, Steve, because you're so desperate to watch that film. Owen, Owen's just got to start picking people who are only in Mike Matter, <laughs> England manager, or Mike. <laughs> yeah, next week, Steve uh, and, Green. <laughs> anyway, we have some news. Um, this one we should have picked up on a few weeks ago, but we forgot in our infinite wisdom. But Marvel have teamed up with Netflix to create four uh, superhero TV, well, not TV shows on Netflix, but two, you know, two, uh, four series based around Daredevil, uh, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, and Jessica Jones to tie in with, I suppose, the Marvel Universe that um, Disney are creating. And... Um, the original programming that Netflix has started making to uh, quite a lot of success. Yeah, I'm quite excited about it, even if it's just to see how um, the concept works, because it's supposed to tie into the S.H.I.E.L.D. TV series, which they don't own, um, and it's also going to work alongside the movies. So, um, yeah, bit bit of a, a weird concept. As well as that, they're going to release all there's 13 episodes in each series, and there's four series as as um, Steve just said. Mm. But they're going to release them all at the same time, like they always do as well. So wow. yeah, so it's all going to be sort of interconnected. Um, yeah, I just think, a, I think four, four separate series are meant to come together at the end as well mm. of each to to kind of combine to a big finale. Yeah, oh. but the well the characters in it, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, and Luke Cage are the heroes for hire. They're a sort of um, established uh, group, I suppose, heroes for hire. And Daredevil as well is sort of quite closely linked with uh, Iron Fist, a character called Danny Rand. They're sort of um, yeah, very connected. I think Danny Rand ended up becoming the Daredevil for a while. But you know, so there's there's scope there to turn that into something quite epic within that that. Um, you know, limited amount of episodes that they've got to work with. But, it, yeah, I'm just... I don't know how it's going to fit around the, the film series because, uh, well, how, how can it work? It's Isn't it a bit unfair to people who perhaps don't have Netflix or...? Well, I don't think it's going to be integral to the film series, but I think there'll be ways it's connected in the same way Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Is, has got, you know, connections with the Avengers films and all those kind of things, and all the films seem to have little cameos and references and intertwine it's gonna it's gonna be like that i don't think right. it's good, but i don't i don't think if you don't watch 
the Daredevil TV show, you'll miss something important for Avengers 3, say. Hmm. You'd just, you just assume not. The other thing as well, just from a purely kind of business point of view, um, you'd imagine that the the calibre of actor that they're going to be getting for the Netflix TV series wouldn't necessarily transfer that well across to a multi-billion dollar well, that's, um, that's, that's, yeah, film series. That must be why they're doing it. They must have looked... Marvel and Disney must have looked at all the characters in comic books and they must have kind of a, a, you know, a yes and no pile for will this make a movie. And there's probably some that will, will they think will do better as a TV show. And that's the way they've gone. Mm. Um, but it, it does mean you're not going to really be able to use them in the films if you've got a, an actor that no one else outside of the television watching audience know who the hell they are. Yeah, that's true. Mm. I mean, it's so so. It depends on it depends who they cast. But say Daredevil, for example, if they cast a complete unknown, um, what you, that's not going to be that. I, I don't think that would satisfy the movie execs if they then decided to try and fit him into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Although I don't know much about comic books, I don't even know if Daredevil ever even came across the Avengers. Uh, you know, do do some well, of yeah. these? Obviously, Marvel own them all. But do they all definitely live in the same universe, yes, or does some? With that exception, okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they they all sort of cross over with each other all the time, and yeah. Well, I think uh, there's some kind of big comic book story where they all have to kind of sign a superhero's register, effectively. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Civil War. You're thinking of yeah. Then there's a war between but, certain characters who. Yeah, that, that, that implies to me that implies to me that everyone across every different comic book would be involved in that because they would have to be by definition of the you yeah. know every marvel anyway yeah it is and you're right it's everyone i mean everyone from sort of captain america to punisher you know that spans everybody so they i mean they definitely all do exist within the same universe okay um but is it, is which is, is this and the x-men as well do the x-men exist in the same universe in the com- yeah awesome. in the comics yeah comics. obviously i know different studios own the x-men at the moment but yeah uh, that's just to do with the rights to the yeah. filming of them, yeah. But within but the... they actually do. Yeah. This Jesus, ne- that must get confusing. <laughs> yeah, this well, ne- I've always thought it was a bit odd. You know, how can you have mutants with superpowers who are different to humans who have superpowers and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it makes it easier for is the this, films. Is this um, Netflix time with Marvel? Is this the Disney arm of Marvel? The ones that are doing the... Well, Disney the... own all of Marvel now, I think. Yeah, it's it's just a, a bit like Disney a bit property. like Pixar. Yeah, yeah. But they, they just own it. On the same note, this, this is encouraging for for Star Wars with Disney now owning Star Wars. You know, m- it moving away from just movies or just films based around the Skywalker family. I mean, the a galaxy, the big place. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of interesting characters just from the background of Star Wars films, let alone this expanded universe that people have created with games and oh. and, and novels and everything uh, that could, you know, it's encouraging for that. And, and Netflix as well is it, they're gambling a lot and doing very well on making their own programs, aren't they? I think you've watched mm-hmm. it, haven't you, James? Yeah, no, um, I've watched all of them except for the, what's his name? Horror guy, uh, some kind of twin peaks rip off. I didn't watch that one. Uh, but, uh, House of Cards, Arrested Development, Orange is the New Black was the real surprise, and is 
um, currently the most watched uh, Netflix original programming show, and that really, really cut across uh, loads of different demographics. It was really, really entertaining. Uh, anyone who hasn't seen Orange is the New Black yet, really, really good female prison drama with a touch of comedy there but uh no no netflix doing fantastic stuff with their original program the other thing they're doing as well is they're actually investing quite heavily in documentaries as well and uh, it's not just tv um a lot of documentaries which have struggled in the past to get on television to get a wider audience outside of their original kind of very small cinematic release netflix have started putting a lot of money into developing their own documentary arms as well now, which is which is great to see. But have they, they haven't ventured into doing any films of their own yet, have they? No, I think that that because I think that's the big that's the big risky one because documentaries are cheap enough, yeah. and they know that you know they're building up a massive library of documentaries. That's the kind of you know they'll stay there for a bit. No, you're right in terms of films. Um, I suppose because of the one-off, they will have spent the equivalent of a film or two on making Arrested Development, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But because that is, you're getting more bang for your buck, you've got 14 or, 14 or so episodes, um, and you've got an inbuilt audience there. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me at some point to see them move into, start to move into films. Um, but I think at the moment they don't need to. It, I, I think it will be if uh, content providers start withholding or start trying to charge more for their films that'll be the problem but they've got some really good long-term deals at the moment so i don't think there's any massive need and i think their their big rival at the moment is tv uh i think netflix and the movie industry can sit side by side quite happily um i think that the big issue is that netflix's big rival is tv and so that's what they're, mm. they're trying to take tv on 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 their terms and i think i think it's, it's doing very well for them Netflix are definitely blowing like all of their other streaming rivals out of the water. It seems they they had a head start in America. To be fair, yeah. Um, but Amazon Instant uh, over there is towards its love bill. I mean, they're mm. they're you know working on their own TV series. And, and it's, it's a huge company yeah. as well. You know, Amazon's a massive company, uh, and it, there doesn't need to just be one. Uh, there won't be many uh, when the dust settles. I don't think, uh, mm. but. And there's the small niche ones as well, which do really not. Like I say, I always bang on about movie. That's a really nice niche one. But yeah, I think for the for the time being, it's going to be Netflix and uh, Amazon Instant. I can't see anyone else kind of elbowing in on their patch. No. And the nice thing about these is that you know there's no advertising on the films. Mm. You don't put a yeah. thirty second, ninety second clip of adverts before yeah. the thing starts, which is is, is one of the attractions yeah. to it. I think. And, and it's quite nice. Some films you see, some films get this second lease of life mm. because all of a sudden it appears on Netflix, and loads of people start watching these films. And they, and you see that like I, we quite often uh, chat about films on the Football Three Six Five forum in the film. So, and you'll see sometimes that a film which is like four or five years old, maybe even older, and not a big film, all of a sudden about five or six people will review it because they've kind of come across it on Netflix and then someone else has mentioned it. So it is quite nice that some films which may have just been consigned to um, bargain bins or just wouldn't have been seen because HMV wouldn't stock it because they can only have a limited amount of things in their stores and if no one on TV was showing it, these films just wouldn't be seen. And now they're sat there waiting to be seen. There's some really nice little hidden gems that 
are getting seen by people that they wouldn't have been before. Safety Not Guaranteed, for example, has just come onto UK Netflix now. And quite a few people I know have seen Safety Not Guaranteed, whereas if it wasn't for Netflix, I'd, I'm pretty sure that not many would have seen it full stop in this country. Anyway, uh, on from that and on to two bits of news that involve um, returns of sorts. Do we want to start off with the good or the bad? The potentially good. I'm still the in two minds about the, the potentially, potentially good The potentially good. Definitely the most promising news out of these two stories. Monty Python will be returning in some capacity. I think the detail, we'll have more details probably by the time this podcast is released than what we have now. But the surviving members will be coming back. And it's a proper reunion as well, not like um, some of the reunions they've had um, over the last few years where uh, they filmed some not very funny sketches for a night on BBC, but Eric Idle did all his bits separately and they've kind of got together for chats and stuff, but apparently this will be on stage. This is actually going to be a live performance, which I'm desperate to get tickets for and I think that will be pretty much impossible just to say that i've seen yeah. them uh, it's, it's one of those that i'm yeah i grew up on monty python uh, and i'm desperate for it. but part of me does think i haven't seen any of them do anything funny for about 30 years and I'd, are they are they just going to do all their old stuff and everyone's going to go along and kind of mouth along and stuff like that i don't know or are they going to try and come up with new stuff and there is just the sad point that Graham Chapman won't be there as well and certainly from the film points of view he was a he was a pivotal part of the team but I'll be optimistic and say do you know what it's nice to see them talking and wanting to do stuff and I love Python so I'm I'm quite excited but nervous and the bad bit of news definitely bad (laughs) no arguing about this no it's a one to be woeful back in the habit (laughs) <laughs> the wonderful strikes back I don't know but the, A Wonderful Life 2 is being made it's actually called It's a Wonderful Life the rest of the story which is a fucking terrible title I don't want to know the rest of the story it ended quite nicely do you want me to tell you what the rest of the story is I don't, well, tell, no I'm, I'm going to tell you Okay. Um, basically what happens is it's about George Bailey's grandson um, and he turns into a bit of a dick, um, and an angel. I think his older sister yeah. Zuzu, Zuzu uh, yeah, yeah, is now an angel and goes back and shows him what the world would be like if he'd never been born. <laughs> and apparently, it's much better. So it's like flipping the original film. It's going to be so bad. To be honest, I think it'll probably go. It'll be a straight to video, straight to TV thing. I don't think, by the sound of it, there doesn't appear to be anyone of any real talent involved in this. Oh, well, they've got the, they've harsh. got a lot of the original cast back there, haven't they? I mean, is it Zuzu the, the girl's name? Yes, she's the same actress who played her in the yeah. original. So, yeah, you know, might be a bit more. You know, people who are playing the characters might be a bit more vested in in making sure they do a good job. Yeah. Uh, apparently, they plan to secure a budget of twenty-five to thirty-two million dollars, which isn't a huge amount in Hollywood these days. And they hope to bring the sequel to the big screen in twenty-fifteen. Um, mm. Yeah, it's. 
yeah, it's not going to be good. Uh, it's and interesting. Um, the screen guy who's written it said, look, no one can make another It's a Wonderful Life, but our story is solid. Yeah, brilliant. Mm-hmm. You're selling it to me. <laughs> <laughs> We're going in with our eyes open. There's no every, doubt about it. There will be a ruckus. Time, every time a studio sells out like this, some executive gets a big fat paycheck. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is that um, and the reason this is finally doable is because it's Wonderful Life is now out of copyright. So people, can, so it wouldn't surprise me to see a remake. I think we're more likely, in terms of a big screen presence, to see a remake of it in the next few years. I don't think. I think this is a story, but I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it's gonna bother us too much. I, I doubt it's gonna make any huge waves but it wouldn't surprise me if in a year or two time we hear about a uh, uh, a remake probably with George Clooney uh, in the role of George Bailey there you we go we could get a CGI Jimmy Stewart yes oh, I'd love a CGI Jimmy Stewart yeah. just just for kicks just around the house <laughs> yeah just turn up as a cameo yeah. in, in a ghost or, role a hologram like <laughs> they did with Tupac at that Snoop Dogg gig one yeah Definitely. <laughs> With two names that you'll never hear in the same sentence again. Jimmy Stewart and Tupac. Yeah. The film that could have been. <laughs> so, if only he hadn't died. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the news. <laughs> it's an odd bunch this week. Yes, that is that is the news. Um, I'll have a quick break and then Triple Bill is back. <laughs> Triple Bill then, and this week... Uh, it is best movie characters uh, that remain anonymous. We don't find out the name or real name of, inspired by the counsellor and the Doctor Who 50th anniversary, both characters where we don't know their actual names. Um, I think everyone gets the idea now, so James can start us off. Okay, I'm gonna start. Do you know, what, um, I, I quite like this actually. I did a bit of research, and I, I've had to leave out some some that I really enjoy, because uh, mainly because I've spoken about them on the podcast either before quite let's recently. Give some, let's so give some honorable mentions at the end. So, you know, yes, we will do. So we'll, we'll we'll kind of we'll tidy up at the end. So the three that I'm gonna go for are actually three brilliant performances that I really enjoy in films that I really enjoy as well so uh, the first one is from 1940 um, and it is from the only Alfred Hitchcock film to win an Oscar and that's uh, Rebecca based on the Daphne du Maurier novel um, about a young woman who in Monte Carlo meets uh, the widower uh, Maxim de Winter uh, gets married uh, and then moves to his family home in Cornwall Mandalay uh, where the ghost, uh, the kind of not the literal ghost, but the uh, the metaphorical ghost of his first wife looms large over the staff, including the frightening Mrs. Danvers. And yeah, this character, this young woman, um, who is uh, you know we see we see this whole story told through. We never actually find out her name. She is just the new Mrs. De Winter, uh, played by Joan Fontaine. Uh, her husband Maxim, uh, played by Laurence Olivier. It is. A genuinely brilliant film. I've I've got a lot of love for Rebecca. It's in the IMDb top two fifty. Um, it's it's one of those Hitchcock films that doesn't necessarily one of those rare ones, but doesn't necessarily feel Hitchcockian. Uh, he's uh, I think he was still 
finding his feet it was one of his first american films i think but it's it's beautifully shot in places and it's just this w- wonderfully dark little story uh, and of course he went back to film he went back to demorio's uh work to film the birds um she wrote the short story that that was based on as well um but yeah brilliant film quite funny in places but also genuinely very very dark as well and uh uh Mrs. De Winters is my first choice. Um, my second choice is my hipster choice because I'm pretty sure that there will be some crossover. Um, well, there would have been some crossover, and this is my hipster crossover because I'm not going for the the American stroke Italian uh, production that spun out of this. I'm going for the original samurai uh, in the film Yojimbo. Uh, directed by Akira Kurosawa, and it is uh, played by Toshiro Mifuni, who is the Ronin. Um, essentially, the original man with no name from the uh, samurai film from 1961, Yojimbo. If you basically, if you've seen A Fistful of Dollars, you'll know exactly what the story is here, except transport it from the Wild West to feudal Japan. Uh, it's about a lone wandering. Ronin, uh, who has been released by his uh, employer, I think because he's dead, and he wanders into town and plays off two rival gangs against each other. He's damn cool in this. Uh, and I, The reason I went for this is A, because it's the pretentious hipster choice, <laughs> uh, and B, because uh, I genuinely think that Yojim, as much as I love A Fistful of Dollars, Yojimbo is the better film, and it's actually one of Kurosawa's best. I, I Absolutely love. Have you reviewed two seen Yojimbo? Unfortunately, not. No. Okay, it's definitely one. It's it's kind of like because um, Seven Samurai is this huge kind of sprawling epic. This is a really tight, um, just great kind of simmered down version of Seven Samurai. It's a brilliant, brilliant film. Um, and then on to my last choice. Uh, which goes all the way into 1995. I've I've had to leave out some really good ones, but um, in fact, there's another potential one which might come up from this director, but the director I'm talking about is David Fincher on uh, Seven. Um, Now, this film is nearly 20 years old, uh, and I'm I'm still not spoiling anything hugely by saying that there is a character that appears near the end uh, played by Kevin Spacey, and probably the first time Kevin Spacey made a huge impact. It was the same year that The Usual Suspects came out as well, and it was that, that kind of period of time where Kevin Spacey was catapulted into superstardom. He plays, uh, his character is classed as John Doe, which obviously is uh, what you would call someone who you, is unidentified. We don't actually find out his real name. He is the serial killer who is going round. Uh, killing people according to the seven deadly sins and he just gives himself up for reasons which soon become horrifically apparent but it's a brilliant um it's one of those fantastic it's just a bit longer than a cameo uh but it's it's a short sharp shock of a performance from kevin spacey so that that's my that's my favorite one there I know which one you're thinking of as a crossover, or possibly crossover with the director, but I haven't gone yeah. for that. So. No, no. But I, I, I saw him mentioned on somewhere, um, and I, I do. I think I think Matt might have mentioned him when we were 
discussing it on the forum or something yeah, like that. I think yeah. So, uh, so what's your your picks? Okay, well, uh, I didn't go for Yojimbo, but I went for the man with no name, Clint Eastwood, yeah. in the yeah. good, the bad, and that's, the ugly. That's crossover. See, I was just trying to—I was just trying to be all hipster before that crossover. <laughs> Clearly, he is damn cool, uh, especially in the good, the bad, and the ugly. He's great in the earlier films, but if you're putting it, even if you just put him forward on the strength of the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, mm-hmm. yeah, what yeah, a film. I think so. you're right. I mean, he's brilliant throughout the, the three films. He's just so—he is just supremely cool through all those mm. those three films, and he's just a damned handsome bastard as well isn't he yeah. <laughs> um, but I still think even so regardless of being just a, a cool guy he's it's probably his best role I think still mm. I think he's been in some fantastic movies um, throughout his career but it's still the good the bad and the ugly is the one I think of when I imagine Clint Eastwood you know yeah. you think of something that some films he's been in you've obviously got things like Dirty Harry and I yeah. suppose you know in his later career Million Dollar Baby that sort of thing but it's still it's still those uh, Sergio Leone films that yeah that, that stick in the mind. Um, yeah, but he's, the only name he's given cr- in the credits. I mean, he's kind of he is referred to as Blondie, um, mm. and he's also the Good. But I've, I mm. think nicknames they don't count, do they? I mean, they don't count. No, no. no. Uh, uh, he's the man with no name. Exactly. exactly. As as we saw in this week's new release, the counselor. Everyone calls him the counselor. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think nicknames are fine. Um, yeah. So yeah, no. Don't. I know you're usually the first one to break the rules on these. Areas, but <laughs> done or you've done fine there. Stuck rigidly to it with that one. Yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's it's a fantastic movie. Probably my favourite western, if it's technically a western. Um, we've had this discussion before about I spaghetti they westerns. Yeah, they're westerns. They're, yeah. they're they are westerns. For the purposes they're, they're, of this, I'll say yes. <laughs> it's a, it's like saying is a slasher movie a horror movie? In my opinion, but yeah. you know, it, it, it's. It's a subgenre of the the larger Western genre and a damn great one as well. Yeah, if you accept that the Western genre is a genre on its own and not a subgenre well, that... or something else. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we're moving on. <laughs> My next choice is uh, from Twelve Angry Men. Um, oh, that was nearly one of mine. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's twelve of them that I suppose I could have picked any from. Um, but in particular, I am of course thinking of Henry Fonda as the voice of the man with the reasonable doubt. He's juror number eight, and he is just a fantastic character. But the, in fact, like I say, could have picked any of them, because they're all, each in their own way, each juror is actually quite complex, and obviously they, they, they represent different um, emotions and, and views across the whole spectrum of, of, of humanity, really, and, and society. Uh, but yeah, I, Henry Fonda is the lead in so much as he's the one the main yeah. focus of the story is about, really. Um, but also, I, I always think Lee J. Cobb is, is who's probably most famously known as the cop in The Exorcist. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, he's been brilliant in, in other stuff, like uh, he's in On the Waterfront, and he's fantastic in that as well. But I think in this, he plays that prejudiced chap who swears that the accused is actually guilty when when you actually look at it, there's not much evidence for it. Um, but he's just brilliant in this as well. I think mm. almost steals the show at times. But Fonda is the is the man. Yeah. He's the main guy, and uh, yeah, the voice of reason, I suppose, is what you, you you think of him as. And he's the closest the film comes to having a standout actor, um, anyway. But he's just a just a brilliant character. Um, but my final choice 
is uh, Viggo Mortensen as Popper in The Road. Who, Look, I'd, um, best, oh, I'd best put one of my backup choices in then, or else it's going to be very short. <laughs> oh, do you know what? I've still not watched The Road. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's very good, but uh, don't watch it if you're in a bit of a bad mood or yeah. you know, downer. Yeah, I've heard it's pretty dark, it's and I, I've also I've got a, a dad friend, you know, uh, and he said, yeah, that he watched it after he became a father, <laughs> and uh, yeah, wow. he, he struggled. Then. Um, and, and quite apt as well, being uh, based on a Cormac That's, McCarthy. Yeah, one of the reasons I, I pull it in, really, is um, based on that Cormac, Cormac McCarthy story, which is a good book, I think. I hate the, the writing, and it really annoys me, the, the style of writing, but the, the story itself is... is Anyone uh, who doesn't use his apostrophes just annoys me for a start. The whole structure of it just, yeah. It, it's a little <laughs> bit of OCD out when I read that, and it's just, yeah. no, you can't structure a sentence that way. But anyway... <laughs> Um, he's a great character as well, as all three of them are, I think. Um, he's just a desperate man resorting to kind of desperate measures to, to keep himself and his son alive in this barren, post-apocalyptic wasteland of America as they're heading... Uh, are they heading north, Steve, or heading south? I can't remember. heading to the coast. Or the coast, yeah, to, you know, where it's going to be warmer and... Whatever. Yeah, I can't remember <laughs> I, I just I, I remember the end of the film. They're at the coast. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a journey film, really, isn't it? So I mean, they go from one place, and it's about their not so much their actual um, trekking across land, so much as uh, what they go through and etc. Yeah. etc. Et I mean, oh, it's it's a great story in so much as you're automatically sympathising with the popper, and you know mm. how hard and difficult, and sometimes the choices he has to make are virtually impossible. You know. Um, and and the fact he's just doing his best to look after his son. What makes him quite special and unique is that he isn't a one hundred percent clean good guy. He's not. He's not a hero right. by any means. I mean, he's some of the stuff he does, he does out of necessity. But there is a certain amount of nastiness about some of it. I think. Mm. And um, it's just. I mean, I love Viggo Mortensen anyway. I think he's a. Fan, he's just a brilliant actor. This is probably mm. one of my favourite roles of his. I think it, a history of violence is just utterly, utterly brilliant in. But mm. in this as well, it's it's great. So, yeah, that's my final choice. So, did you agree with what I said then, Steve, or were you picked him for a different reason? No, that's pretty much why I picked him for that film. Just the, the, the character is brilliant, portraying kind of somebody in the worst kind of situation having to do ultimately ultimately horrible disgusting and and difficult things but to make sure that his son survives in mm. um, a, you know a terrible situation yeah i mean he is sort of the essence of what is selflessness isn't it i mean he just um, some of the stuff he does he's not doing it for himself He's not doing it for any moralistic reason. It's literally just everything he does in this film is to keep his son alive. And it's, um, it's I mean, it's it's a very sad, and we've sort of covered it as well, a very grim film. But yeah, mm. you're right. Everything he does is is, is just a... One of, probably, of the three Cormac McCarthy films, uh, well, based on Cormac McCarthy stuff that I've seen, he's probably my favourite character of the lot. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. That's me done. <laughs> my, my choice is Owen took two, so I'll come up with another one quickly. 
the one that he didn't pick was the inspiration or one of the inspirations behind this triple bill. It is the Doctor, Doctor Who, whose name uh... he is. We don't know yet. We still don't know. He has got a name, apparently, um, but it's never been revealed to the public. Only been in one film um, that starred Paul McGann as the eighth Doctor. Technically, uh, two films in the 60s. Yeah, but they don't really count, do they? Same, is it a, a different, uh, different canon, but same character. Yeah. I think you can add that to your list. I think you uh, can add those. Uh, Peter Cushing, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, did anyone see the um, the little teaser for this the special on Saturday with Paul McGann? I did, and I was very happy to see Paul was, McGann back. I thought it was brilliant. I just want to see more of him as a doctor. I mean, yeah. have you have you heard his um, audio? Uh, Big Finish no. audio stuff. No. It's really good, actually. He's really just, good doctor. I just like the line about, you know, why are we going to the back of the spaceship while it's crashing? Think it through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Paul McGann. Yeah, yeah, no, it was nice to see Paul McGann finally get treated with a bit of respect. He was a bit shit on, basically. Yeah, well, um, I think they were hoping that if that took off in America, that film, that there would be mm. another series, it'd be restarted then, and he would start off as the doctor then, and yeah. he was very good. Uh, he, was, he was let down by a shocking script yeah. and Eric Roberts as the master, which is fucking horrible. Um, but, you know, the Doctor's had many great actors from Tom Baker through to the current incarnation. Uh, Matt Smith, David Tennant was excellent. Christopher Eccleston in his, in his, in his one um, series in the comeback, who kind of doesn't maybe doesn't get enough credit for helping get the series back to where it is now. And then there's Patrick Trout and Sylvester McCoy. John Hurt is now playing a version of the Doctor in the 50th anniversary. And it's just... It's a brilliant plot device to keep a series going for so long when actors might want to leave or people in charge fall out with actors and want to get rid of them. Yeah, and there's some great examples of it just through the years. The Five Doctors is another one. Yeah, it's just like whenever an anniversary comes, let's just get loads of people to play the Doctor again. I love it. It's it's silly and it's stupid and it's exactly what Doctor Who should be. It's just, it's just, it's just Doctor, Doctor Who. But do they never have like where he goes back in time and he meets himself doing something else? It was a different incarnation. Is that possible even? In, in, uh, that, well, that's, uh, it doesn't happen often, but I mean that's it's, what it's, it's rare. It's, it's, it's very rare for him to they've be got, able to do that. Got, he like, stays away got, from it, I think. They've got episodes like the Three Doctors and the Five Doctors, and yeah. in the, in this newest one coming out, I mean David Tennant's back, and so there's the, and John Hurt's in it. So there's going to be three versions of the Doctor in the same storyline. It does happen, but because mm. of I mean, you're not meant to time travel across your own time stream because it causes yeah. oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> Really. I think it generally only happens by accident, certainly not by design. Time, but then time one, of the, one of the doctors in the future is obviously going to know about going back. Yeah. You know, and then he has to yeah. do everything the same. And oh, Time uh, travel's a nightmare, yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. Best, yes, best, best ignored. <laughs> so, yes, uh, that's, that's one. And... What other one can I make up on the hop as Owen picked up all of mine? Um, I don't know. Let's just let's just go into a discussion now of what ones didn't get picked. I think that would be the easiest thing to do. For the, my, my most difficult one to leave out was uh, Ryan Gosling as the driver um, in Drive because I genuinely love that film. 
And I think he does really well. And he, oh, he's so purdy. <laughs> um, it's an interesting uh, character, though, isn't it? Because yeah, you don't really. I mean, it, okay. My what I've heard, a theory I've heard, and I I think actually fits quite well, mm. is that he's a bit autistic. You know, he's perhaps got Asperger's, maybe. Comes or, that way, yeah. You know. Um, yeah. No. No. I. I and he quite possibly played it that way. Um, yeah, no, definitely. He, he's an odd character at times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. And the other one that I had to leave out, because I've spoken about it at length, uh, and it's Paul McGann as uh, Marwood in With Nell and I, because mm. during the film, you never find out who what his name is. And it's only if you've, it's only if you've then gone and read the screenplay that you find out he's called Marwood, but no one ever refers to him by any name. Uh, in in that film, so that was another one that was quite close to my heart. Uh, yeah, Mister Pink, Mister Blue, and Mister Brown in Reservoir Dogs never get a proper name either. Good shapes, mm, yeah, mm. all all good. I was thinking as well uh, the Tramp, you know Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, I thought the Tramp as well, but then I thought I I don't think I've seen any. I thought of that, and I thought I don't. I've only seen the Great Dictator, and the you know. Oh right, okay. Yeah, so I haven't seen a lot of the other... And then I thought some of the Buster Keaton stuff, but I kind of... I'm sure he's a character... I, I couldn't remember then, and then yeah. I, I was like... I'd settled on mine anyway. You've you got all the, um, all the main characters in Zombieland that, that go by the name of the place where they're from, rather yeah. than yes. call themselves <laughs> by their actual yeah. name. Do you want a few off yeah. the forum? We had some from the Football 360. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. We had uh, the narrator in Fight Club. That was yeah, from Matt. That, that was my David Fincher crossover yeah. one, yeah. And we had Captain Bird, so he said Daniel Craig in Layer Cake. That's a good one. That's a really good one, actually. Uh, and apparently, um, slipping back, that's news I'd forgotten, actually, sequel to Layer Cake's been announced with um, Jason Statham uh, taking on that role. Uh, Daniel Craig's not coming back. I've still not seen Layer Cake, but you've just reminded really me good. of something else. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, go for it. I saw the trailer for his new film when I went to see The Counselor. Um, which one's that? I, I've forgotten what it's called. Homefront, is it? Something like that. Oh, right, yeah, that that's a film that's out soon, so I'm assuming it's that one. Yeah. Look any good? It looks really good, actually. Okay. It's proper, proper sort of small-town America getting involved with Statham, who's like an undercover cop yeah. sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, have you seen that he's also doing uh, a comedy with Melissa McCarthy? <laughs> no. Yeah. Really? Jason Statham and Melissa McCarthy in some kind of odd couple buddy cop mm. film. It could be awesome. <laughs> I think he's, he's, he's got, like he is a funny guy. Yeah. He's a funny guy. Yeah. I think he'll do quite well in that, actually. Because, you know, yeah. stuff like Snatch is brilliant in as the sort yeah. of more comedic. And Crank as well. Crank, yeah. yeah. I think he's got a good sense of humour, actually. He has definitely got a good sense of humour, so it'd be interesting, but it's an odd career move. It's a strange move. (laughs) But do you know what? It will make more money than any of his other films have recently, apart from maybe The Expendables, though. Yeah. Because films don't generally make that much money, which I was really surprised to find out. He's not. He's not actually. He's only box office for a certain small sector of society like us. Yeah, I'm, I'm still. I'm. I'm still waiting for his cameo in the new Dumb and Dumber film. As as. Uh, Lloyd Christmas's brother as his character from The Expendables, Larry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that is my own made-up fan theory. That'd be awesome. That would be weird. Yeah. That's a weird crossover, isn't it? That is. Let's let's make it happen. Internet campaign. Oh, uh, speaking of Statham and sort of with yeah. like his target audience, almost. Anyone seen the new Van Damme advert? 
There's an advert um, he did online oh, yes. as viral. Yes, I have, where he's um, straddled across two trucks. Yeah, two Volvo's yeah. going in reverse, and he does the splits between them. I just thought I'd yeah. put that in there, because it is pretty awesome. It is awesome, and he did it as well. It's genuine. It's, it's, yeah. no, it's no computer... There, you know, apparently he was entirely safe the whole time, yeah. but he was straddled and did the splits between two moving trucks, which is... Going in reverse, yeah. Terrifying, yeah. It is, it's pretty cool. Oh, JCVD. Uh, okay, let's have a break, <laughs> then we'll be back with our three new release reviews, Don, Don John, The Butler, and The Counselor. So, of our first three uh, new uh, new release reviews, we'll start with Don John, which James has seen, and here's a clip. Barbara and I split up. I can't believe it. This is horrible. Well, can you get her back? I don't think so. Well, did you try to call her? She didn't want me to call her. Oh. Look what you did. I'm sorry. What do you want me to do? I just want you to be happy. <laughs> That's all. Is that too much to ask? I wasn't happy. A nice wife and some nice kids. <laughs> Look at me. I look like a grandmother, but do I have any grandchildren? No. I mean, am I a bad mother? Is that what I'm hearing? Honey, calm down, please. You know, Mom, I don't know if I really want a wife and kids. What are you saying? <laughs> you don't mean that. John, say something. All right, all right, all right. What you, would you stop upsetting your mother? What the f*** does it matter with you? I don't know. Having a family's the greatest joy in a man's life. Everybody knows that. Right, well, then maybe I'm not a man, okay? Because uh, I sure boy. as hell don't want a family. I mean, oh. maybe one day, but not right now. I know that. Okay, so that was a clip of Don John. James, why don't you take us through this one? Uh, yeah, well, um, uh, well, I think I spoke to Carol about this when she did her London Film Festival review section, uh, and she was she was impressed by it. I didn't think it was the most amazing thing in the world, but was impressed by it. And that that's generally the feeling I got from it. Actually, it's um, the directorial debut of Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who also stars as the titular. Don John, who is a uh, New Jersey guy, and as it says on IMDb here, as I've got in front of me, a New Jersey guy dedicated to his family, friends and church, who develops unrealistic expectations from watching porn. He's basically got a porn addiction, um, and is it going to get in the way of his true happiness? Um, It's actually quite a funny film, Uh, and it's a a really good script. I I was really impressed. It's the first film that uh, JGL's written and directed and there was a definite style to it i think that was really important um i i felt like i was watching someone who knew what they wanted to do though he wasn't just putting stuff up on screen he actually had had a very definite style parts of it felt a little bit like edgar wright actually a number of jump cuts and uh you know visual flashy visual tricks like that it worked really nicely parts of the film felt like you were in a routine he kept talking about his routine and actually i'd it would need me to go and take a second look at the film but i'd really like to take a look at the order of the scenes because i think there was a pretty much a predetermined order of okay he's going to he's in his car he's going to church he's going to his gym and i think they were they kind of came along in a quite a regular order um and if that is true then that was really nicely done if it's not true well the fact that it made me feel like that was still pretty nicely done as well um so yeah joseph gordon levitt stars and scarlett johansson plays uh the woman of his dreams essentially who he um he first has to woo really hard and then has she comes face to face with his porn addiction 
and that and the issues that that causes. What I did find very interesting is that when I sat in the cinema and the opening credits came up and Julianne Moore's uh, name came third, I thought, I don't remember seeing Julianne Moore in any of the trailers or mentioned in any of this beforehand. And she's actually a massive part of this and and probably steals a lot of this film. She She's brilliant in it. And I think part of that is because the film isn't quite... Um, as it has been marketed it's it's one of these films where it's been marketed as a very kind of it's a it's a bloke's film about porn and about Scarlett Johansson looking fit and don't we all want to be Joseph Gordon-Levitt you know Um, and actually at the heart of it it's quite a sweet story and I'm not going to give too much away, but Julianne Moore plays a, quite a big part of this story as well. Um, so that that's quite interesting. It, it wasn't what I expected, but it was genuinely enjoyable. A um, little bit uneven in its pacing at times. Um, dragged a little bit in places, despite only being a 90-minute film, but picked up again. Um, not sure it had too much to say at times it's not a deeply profound film it's just it's an, ent- it's, a, it's an entertaining directorial debut and Joseph Gordon-Levitt is charming in it as he usually is I know some people have got an issue with how smug he is I, I, I quite like I quite like Joseph Gordon-Levitt I think uh, he's a good actor and he, he's, he's very good in this he does he doesn't come across as Joseph Gordon-Levitt either. He, he feels like a fully formed New Jersey character, um, which, which was nice. I didn't feel like I was just watching him. A lot of people, I think it was um, Duke, who's one of our followers on Twitter, he went to see this and uh, he said it was, it, it was quite a vanity project. And in a way, that's true. And to be honest, uh, if I was Joseph Gordon-Levitt and I was writing a film... And I could write a part which meant that Scarlett Johansson had to basically kiss me a lot. <laughs> I would do that as well. <laughs> um, I've got no argument with, with him. But it, it is quite interesting. And you do think, he's really good looking already. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't need to write films to get people like Scarlett Johansson kissing him. But he does. Um but she she's also very good. All the all the performances are great, and I would say of the the minor performances are really good in this as well. Tony Danza plays his dad, and he's hilarious. And seeing the two of them sat around the dinner table, both in their wife beaters, um, being all New Jersey, it's really yeah, that's funny. His mum um, played by um, uh, Glenn Headley. She's she's fantastic as well and Brie Larson um, who's great whenever I see her she plays his uh, teenage sister as well well not teenage kind of slightly younger sister um, the only th- yeah like I say the only thing I would say is it's not quite what it's been set out to be but really enjoy and interestingly um, considering this is the same week in which I saw a film from one of the most celebrated wordsmiths working in literature and Hollywood and someone who has made countless films, this had a, a voice and uh, a snappiness to it that was, wasn't was necessarily present in the work of people with a hundred times more experience. Um, so that was quite nice. 
Yeah, I, I, I really wanted to see Don John, but like most other films I really want to see, it didn't come to, to my local cinema. Um, but I think I picked it as one of my previews. For the... You did. So I'm going to have to try and find it somewhere. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm glad yeah. it worked out for you. Yeah, no, no. It, no, it's genuine. I, I think it... Do you know what? I actually think it would be quite a good date movie, despite the fact it's an 18 and there's a huge amount of pornogram, pornographic material in it. That's, this is what I mean. It's actually... At one point, there's this sequence where it's lampooning um, kind of chick flicks and women's loves of chick flicks and stuff. Actually, in at its heart, it's not too dissimilar. Um, to that kind of movie, which which was really interesting, but done in a really nice way. Okay. Uh, second up in this trio of, of reviews is The Butler, um, the uh, based loosely on um, a real story, starring Forrest Whitaker as the butler, uh, Cecil Gaines, and did they, oh, they, I was going to say they gave him a name, did they? Or was this another unnamed yeah. main character? No, no, no. He he actually has a name, and and starring many, many other kind of big recognisable names. Uh, here's a clip. Yeah, so that was a clip of the Butler Len. Uh, like I said, it was based loosely on a true story or a, a real-life story um, of Eugene Allen, who was a butler in the White House for over 30 years. And that is pretty much where the... The, the similarities in the characters end. There is there is basically the only similarities between Eugene Allen, the real person who's done this job, and Forrest Whitaker's character Cecil Gaines is that they were both black butlers who worked in the White House for thirty plus years. Uh, everything else is different, which is fine. It, it doesn't it doesn't um, it doesn't pretend to be a, a, a biopic of Eugene Allen, and that's fine. It, it you know. Um, uh, like I said, it stars many big names. Forrest Whitaker in the main role. Oprah Winfrey plays his wife. David Oyelowo, is that how you say it? Plays his son. Um, Mariah Carey plays his mother. Terence Howard is in the film too. Alex Pettifer, Vanessa Redgrave, Cuba Gooding Jr., Danny Kravitz, Robin Williams is Dwight Eisenhower. James Marsden is JFK. Lee Schreiber is Lyndon Johnson. John Cusack is... Uh, Richard Nixon, Alan Rickman is Ronald Reagan, and Jane Fonda is his wife Nancy. So it's big, big Blimey. pedigree in the mm. um, it's a massive, cast, yeah. massive ensemble cast. Now, from from the from the trailer, you kind of get the idea uh, or the impression that the presidents, the people playing the presidents, are going to be a big part of this film, and, and the relationship between the butler and the presidents are a big part of this film. It's not the the people playing the presidents, the big names, Robin Williams, Rickman. Um, Schreiber, etc. Barely in it, to be honest. Um, it probably makes for a better film, uh, even though they do do good impressions of the presidents that they're portraying. You know, mimic them well, especially Alan Rickman um, as mm. Ronald Reagan. 
Um, but they're, they're not important. The story really is twofold. It's about the civil rights movement in America more than anything. And it's about um, how Cecil Gaines thinks that change should be brought about working in the White House and how his son thinks that change should be brought about, who ends up going to college, being um, becoming involved in the civil rights movement itself, being involved with Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, becoming involved with the Black Panthers briefly, and then he gets into politics himself. And, and then it's also about the relationship between mostly Cecil, his wife, um, and their relationship with their oldest son, who basically they don't agree with what he's doing. I think they agree with ultimately the end game of what he's doing, trying to get equal rights for, for black people and everybody, but they don't agree with the way he's going about it and you know, they don't speak for many years and everything. And when they do speak, they don't get on. Um, I enjoyed it. I think a lot of people, me included, and um, we definitely mentioned it between ourselves. It looked like the kind of film that was, that would be Oscar baiting um, and a bit schmaltzy. And it isn't in, in any way. Um, which... but no, that's that's interesting, Steve. Because, like you say, it just feel it. It even I I've I'll be honest. I've not even watched the trailer yet. It's just the whole film. The idea of the film feels like it was it's, it's designed for that. It's, it's a trailer and kind of you know premise does give off the wrong impression. But mm. through watching it, I definitely didn't get the feel. That, you know, there's some films uh, I'm trying to think of think of examples, but I suppose. Maybe some, something like a Will Smith film like Seven Pounds or what was the other one? Mm. Um, Pursuit of um, Happiness. Pursuit of Happiness. Where, 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 those you can kind, where those you can kind of see, yeah, that's gearing up for an Oscar. That's specifically, you know, it might be a good yeah. film, whatever your opinion of it, but you can see elements of that's going for an Oscar. This one, I didn't really get that. I never I never really felt... Um, you know, this is this is Oscar baiting or anything like that. Although it is the kind of film that you could see getting nominated, and there are certainly a, a couple of performances in there that you could see, you know, making you know best best mm. male or best supporting actor uh, at the Oscars. Yeah. But it's, well, I've heard pretty good things about Oprah Winfrey in it. Yeah, very good. Considering she's not an actress, I mean, I know she's got acting pedigree from the from the colour purple. Mm. She, did she win an Oscar or just get nominated for that? I she uh, was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. I mean, obviously, she's got pedigree as an actress, but she's not an actress by any means. Mm. She's, a, she's a chat show host. I mean, yeah. I know it's obviously a subject matter which is very close to her, um, as it probably was to a lot of the cast, I imagine. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's very close to her and she obviously has done a lot of, of stuff around the area. She she was very good as Cecil Gaines' wife. I mean, it wasn't like you were watching somebody who's not an actress. It wasn't mm. ever, um, that you weren't watching an actress. Um, okay. But, I mean, the, the two main things, we really did get a good feel of, of the strained relationship between her, Cecil, at times, and between them and their son, Lewis, um, played by uh, David O'Ware, whose name I keep mm. saying wrong. Um, but yeah, you, you definitely get a really good sense of that, and you get a really good sense of when you see the Lewis on. You know, there's 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 a there's certain scenes where he's you know in the civil rights movement on a freedom bus, and they end up getting attacked by the Ku Klux Klan. And there's other scenes where you see him get attacked in diners because he refuses to sit in the the coloured section, and you really get a feel for how horrible and scary and frightening and 
disgusting it was mm. at the time for, for those people to be in. You, you do get a really good feel of how it does come across really well, how horrible it was. And it, and it kind of makes you, it did, it did as well for me, want to read up more on that part of history that I don't really know anything about, other than the kind of key names and a few mm. dates. It makes you want to sort of look into it more to see what, you know, see what it was all all about. But overall, yeah, a very good film. Um, not not really along the lines of the what the trailer might give you the impression of. Really worth watching. Um, although I don't think it's good enough to be Oscar worthy. I think a cut Forrest Whitaker was brilliant. Oprah Winfrey was very good, and David what's name was also really good as well. Yeah, um, you know, I think those two, um, Forrest Whitaker and David Oyewo, could be in line for Oscar nominations. But I don't think the film itself should be should be nominated for best film although i could see it's getting there because it is that kind of film even though it doesn't kind of beg to be cool um uh, also mariah carey is only in it for two scenes and she doesn't really do a lot so you don't really notice that it's mariah carey nice so <laughs> i know james was worried about that so i was because uh, he, he cast her in precious as well and uh well, well basically, uh, basically, she she plays um, Cecil's mum, but he grows up on a on a cotton farm. Um, Mariah Carey plays his mum. What happens is she gets raped by the farm owner or the son of the farm owner, um, and then goes mute. She becomes mad, you know, not mad crazy like him, but you know, she just goes. She doesn't talk anymore. Um, oh, because yeah. After she gets raped, he then shoots her husband, Cecil's dad, kills him. And it, and it makes her, you know, mad, depressed, whatever. So you basically see her in two scenes, getting taken off to where she gets raped, and then, then sat there not talking when Cecil decides to move to um, Washington. Nice. Uh, so, you, yeah, she doesn't really have any kind of... Although her character is obviously important to what happens to mm. Cecil, she, she doesn't really do a lot in the film. Seems like um, small Sounds blessing. like a bunch of laughs. <laughs> There are actually a few good lines. There are a few laughs in there as well. And there are a few good lines. That is, yeah. Cuba Gooding Jr. is actually very good as well. And that is, is, um, as Cecil's boss turned friend, who also works at the White House. I've been waiting for him to come back. His career went to shit. So it, it really did. And it really, uh, really it, did. He was, he was good in this. And it was kind of good. Okay. Oh, that's good. It, it was good to see him in a good film. Um, being good rather than a crap yeah. film being crap. Uh, anyway, that's the Butler. Definitely worth seeing. Um, although your opinion of it may may vary on how good you think it is. Uh, the Counselor uh, is, has been seen by James and Owen. Here is a clip. I suppose I could ask you if you've got a rat in your pocket. You're not serious. Well, when was the last time you tried to call him? Yesterday. Why? Why? Because I couldn't reach him now, all right? What are you going to do? I don't know. What are you? I don't know. That's what Westray said, but he did know, didn't he? What are you going to use for money? I've got some money. I don't think so. If you had any serious money, you wouldn't be this jackpot in the first place. I might. Ah, yeah? Well, (laughs) I know why I'm in it. Do you? Sure, same as you, greed. Yeah. Now you got in trouble. You got in trouble. I tried to appeal to your greed two years ago. No deal. Now it's too late. It's too late. 
title clip of the councillor starring um, James's favourite, the Fass, among others. <gasps> yeah. Why don't you two crack on with talking about this? Uh, well, do you want to introduce it, Owen? Yeah, sure. Okay, I'll introduce it. I've got some um, points that I want to discuss with you as well, James, just to see what your opinion is of it. Because I know this film. It, first of all, I'm just going to say before we say anything else about it, it has been. I was going to say it's been extremely divisive, but only in so much as there's a huge number of people who seem to absolutely hate this film, and then yeah. there's some people who have said, "Oh, it's not as it's not as bad as those people say." Yeah, and I it's really difficult to find anyone going, I loved it. Yeah, I haven't seen anyone so far who's just come out and said it was absolutely fantastic or anything like that. Um, but anyway, yeah, okay, so what, what's it about? It's about, uh, from, from IMDB's page for the councillor, it's literally described in one and a half lines. A lawyer finds himself in over his head when he gets involved in drug trafficking. That is essentially all you need to know about the councillor. Yeah. Um, but the cast in it, I think it's got a really strong cast. As um, Steve's already sort of alluded to, you've got uh, Fassbender. Um, you've also got Cameron Diaz, who puts in... Well, we'll come on to her performance. Like, yeah. She puts in a performance. Um, yeah. <laughs> you've got Javier Bardem, Brad Pitt, uh, Penelope Cruz is in it as well. Um, so, I mean, it's got quite a lot of recognisable faces, as well as some quite a few cameos from people as well. Yeah. Bruno Gans, uh, that was the one that I definitely, you know, a nice cameo that I picked up. It was John... Le- John Leguizamo was in it, yeah. Yeah, that, I, I thought that was him. Was, in, in this tiny little role, and I was like, yeah. it can't be him. He was in just He's a been time... in it for a minute. <laughs> That's what I thought. Well, I'm, I'm, there's a point I'm going to ask you about that, because it's something I picked up on I want to see yeah. as well. But okay. I've got, like I say, I've got a list. We'll do it systematically, shall we? Yeah, nice. List, yeah. Um, but he was in a scene with Hank Schrader from Breaking Bad. And like, yes, just yes, I recognised him from the one episode of Breaking Bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was that was a bit odd. I thought they were going to be in it more, but it's yeah. Anyway, um, okay. So first point I've got here, James. Did you like it? Do you know what? it's weird? I, I didn't love it, and I didn't hate it. And I kind of loved and hated bits of it, and I, I can't make my mind up on it at all. Okay. I, I've it's it's a fair to middling film for me at the moment. Yeah, um, it's certainly nowhere near as bad as some people have tried to make out. It's not the car crash that a lot of people almost kind of gleefully wanted it to be, which I, I never want a film to be no. bad. Uh, but it seems like ever since Prometheus, a lot of people are really gunning for Ridley Scott and kind of wanted this to be horrible. And it's not. It's not a horrible film. No. Um, I mean, for me, for for the later sort of Ridley Scott films, I think it's actually pretty good. I mean, I like yeah. um, I like Prometheus anyway. I thought Prometheus yeah. was one of the better sci-fi films from the past few years. Yeah. Um, but compared to stuff like American Gangster and Robin Hood, this is. Mm. I think The Counselor's much better than those two. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I didn't think I, was, no, no, I, I, I agree with you. It, it's not, it's not going to be on my end of year list of my favourite films of 2013, uh, which is, which I think the biggest part of this, um, this critical slagging it's had is that there is a huge amount of talent concentrated here, and it does feel like a missed opportunity. I will say that. It really does feel like a missed opportunity. The fact we've got a very adult 18-rated film directed by Ridley Scott, written by Cormac McCarthy, his first ever spec script, and with that cast, you 
the issue I think is you expect better, and I, yeah, it's got. It problems. has, a, yeah. I mean, it has a lot of expectation upon its yeah. shoulders, doesn't it? And yeah, exactly. I think it, it's a victim of its own expectation. I think. Yeah, that's. I think that's fair. I mean, I've, one of the other things I seem to pick up on on the reviews, and I, I noticed it first actually when I watched the film, and then I sort of read about it, and I thought, okay, yeah. So all the people have picked up on that too. Is that it is pretty obnoxiously misogynistic. Yeah, I, I picked that up when I was watching. I was watching it thinking, God, Cormac McCarthy's got a real issue with women. That's what I uh, thought. I mean, but I can't believe he actually hates women. So the only, the only just he is like eighty though. They've got weird views <laughs> when you get to that age. Uh, the thing is, the the other big issue for me is um, it's this classic whore and virgin dichotomy, and that's yeah. it. Women are either whores. Or virgins, and they're not to be trusted. Uh, and it, it's it's interesting because it actually does pass the uh, the the Bechdel test. Is it Bechdel or Bechdel? I've, I've uh, only I ever seen Bechdel. it down. Yeah. Bechdel, yeah. It does pass the Bechdel test, but it, it, which goes to show how the Bechdel test isn't the be all and end all of working out you know feminism in cinema and stuff like that. But um, but yeah, it it's a pretty it's a pretty ropey in terms of. It. It's views of women. I will be honest with you. I've there. not read up and any that of. Make you feel a bit bad. Yeah. I, same here. After I was watching, it's it only really when I was thinking about it afterwards because you've only seen it today, haven't you? Yeah. And I sort of. Yeah. I saw it yesterday, and I sort of had the had a, a night's sleep on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, the only thing I can think of really is that it's purposefully written to be quite a misogynistic film, and if it's purposefully written that way, well, there's only two reasonable explanations for that. Either Cormac McCarthy really does feel that way about women. Mm. Um, or what I'm probably leaning more towards is that he's trying to make a point about something. And if he's trying to make a point, what is the point he's making? And is it just that he's trying to say, well, mm. why do you think that's bad? Why is it bad? What What are they saying that's making you think they're, you know, that there's something wrong here? And if it's doing that, then I kind of have a bit more respect for it because I think it's yeah, it's trying to make you question things. And what I I'll be honest, my my take on it was that not that he hates women, but that he can't write women, and that that was that was general. I felt it was more a kind of technical failing yeah. of you know, and having um, and to be honest, it's actually I've only seen No Country for Old Men out of stuff that his work mm. has been adapted into, but. Uh, maybe a lot some writers have this issue some writers can write uh really convincing male characters they just can't inhabit a female character and maybe that's maybe that's the issue is the fact that maybe he doesn't really care not he hates women but he's just not bothered about them in but then terms he, of his storytelling but then purpose, he has but, put them as like main characters yeah, in this film and they're just they're just not well written that's no. Yeah, well, that's. The, I mean, that's the other thing with all that's of the it. characters. Are they purposefully written like that, or is it just his failings as a writer? Precisely, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't think he gets to be as successful as he is if he's, you know, genuinely. Um... I don't know. Michael Bay manages to be pretty successful and be a massive mistake. <laughs> yeah, that's the third point. I suppose I'm going to have to. Um, this. But um, yeah, I mean, just sort of alluding to the other characters as well, yeah, uh, all the characters in it as well. Um, I thought they were all just complete and utter twats, the, the whole lot of them. I, I didn't like sympathy. any of None of them, no. And there, some of them are just pretty much caricatures. They're not... Even Fassbender's yeah. character as the counsellor was just yeah. paper thin. Yeah, there wasn't a, there wasn't a lot to add, which is weird considering 
most of the film is people sat around talking. Yeah. yeah that, 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 and we'll come on to that. Um, you don't learn a lot about people's motivations okay. yeah. or what drives them. And, and yeah, they're, they're, they're an unsympathetic bunch. Yeah. Um, I mean, I... even Laura, played by Penelope Cruz, this kind of this innocent mm. in the game difficult to have too much sympathy for because you don't get a chance to get to know her no you absolutely know nothing about her what she does or why she's with fassbender how she met yeah. him why is she, yeah. why does she love him what what is it that attracts her? is she quite materialistic actually or is she <laughs> he did seem a complete and utter like i said a twat in this yeah um, when you see him near the beginning and he's um, wearing uh, slacks uh, and no socks with uh, <laughs> shoes, that that yeah. from it, that that's nail it. in the coffin. End of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's smile as well in this. I don't know why. It's the first time I've noticed. He's got a very uh, aggressive, passive aggressive smile in this. Yeah. yeah. What a teeth. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, Javier Bardem, I thought, was actually brilliant. I thought he was really he was good really... actor. He had a, he had the most interesting character. In so much yeah. as I want a character I wanted to see more of, yeah. um, he should have gotten a lot more screen time than he actually did. Yeah. But... This character with this huge outer confidence, but clear vulnerabilities inside yeah. and, and uh, self doubt expressed uh, no better than in a scene involving Cameron Diaz where he's relating the story. Yeah, and what I will say is I I found out about that story before I went to watch it. A lot of oh, okay. it seems to have been a story about a lot. Of, all all I will say is that there is some kind of weird sexual activity with a car. Yes, it is the most bizarre. It's, and, and it was hilarious me, though. It, and, and part terrifying. of me loves this film for those small moments. Um, the fact that we. The fact that there are a couple of cheaters hanging around in a load of scenes and they never do anything. <laughs> and I, and I, I kind of admire the film for being a bit weird. Uh, you know, the fact is, it could have been a straight-up thriller and they could, they, they could have put more action in. And they could, but it's, it's an odd film. Yeah, a lot of it and is simple. I admire its oddity. Yeah. Well, the oddities, are, like I was just about to say, there's a lot of uh, symbolism in it. And I think the oddities, like, particularly stuff like the cheetahs, you know, yeah. they're hunters, but they're also covered in jewellery. They've got, like, designer collars on and stuff like that. That's yeah. just obviously supposed to represent the characters in the film. And they're just, yeah. you know, there's lots of stuff like that. If you if you look hard enough, you could probably find the whole film is just all made up of things like that and no yeah. real substance to it. Yeah, but uh, but I, I kind of did like it. I have to I, admit, you know, there was. There was I, no, I admit, I, I didn't find it dull. Um, yeah, I was because there's a difference between not a lot happens, but it's not dull. No, I was glued to it all the way through. Yeah. I think even though there were times when I thought bits of it just give me the impression that half of the film is probably lying on Ridley Scott cutting room floor i know he's notorious for this kind of thing anyway yeah um but st- there's the stuff like we mentioned with uh i can't remember the guy's name who, who plays him but hank schrader from breaking bad yeah and the john Leguizamo. what are they actually there for what was the, the point of them yeah, so no, pre- presumably was, there, there must were... have been more to it and they would just had their parts cut short that's um i I don't know how there has been some cuts, and um, you can buy the um, 
the original screenplay on uh, Amazon for your Kindle and stuff right. now because I know they're um, uh, the Shiznit, which is a really good site. Um, they've done a comparison, basically okay. looking at the original screenplay and that, and a few details were left out, um, but not that much. And really? it seems to me part of part of it was that Cormac McCarthy really wanted to make it difficult for you to piece what is going on. Yeah, because. What, there's there's a very stylistic thing mm. where um, you hear the one side of telephone calls a lot, and that that's a, that was a real style. That's obviously a decision they've made to um, only show one character speaking on the phone, and you've got to guess how the conversation's going just from their one side. And you and that's a good point. No, I mean, there's no point where you then definitely find out. You've got to go. Well, I think that's what was going on. There. Yeah, they do. They, you, that's a good point. I mean, they do resist having you know Fassbender on the other side of the phone, for example, saying, "Oh, so you want me to meet where? And who's yeah. going to come with you?" And I, oh, okay, so I understand. So what was that? You want me to pick up what from the shop? That yeah. kind of thing. They they do definitely avoid any um, you know typical <laughs> movie telephone conversations, yeah. which is good. But like you say, it perhaps does it a bit too uh, heavy-handed. So it's yeah. you do get to points where you're not really sure what's going on. Actually, I lost myself a couple of times. I I just had to go. Well, I'm just going to wait for the next scene, hopefully, yeah. to tell what's happening here because I'm not. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure who's doing this and why. And like you say, that whole scene up in Chicago with Le Guizmo and uh, Hank Strait, I, I was like hang on is that it yeah <laughs> um it was it was re- there were a few moments like that. the other thing that really comes across is um it it's all very well for directors and screenwriters to have a trademark verbal style which doesn't bear much resemblance to reality mm-hmm. quentin tarantino is one for example people don't talk in real life like they talk in quentin tarantino films but it works in his universe and you believe it and you know the, he sells it well enough aaron sorkin's another one people don't talk like aaron sorkin characters in real life but in that universe it works in cormac mccarthy's universe everyone is some kind of postgraduate philosopher in all sorts of fucking nonsense, even down to um, foreign bar staff with English as their second language, can uh, can are just ridiculously eloquent on <laughs> fate mm. and responsibility, and it 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 almost got it was almost a parody of itself by the end when the latest character who I've not met before, and I'm only going to spend a couple of minutes with him. And he just delivers this soliloquy about um, responsibility and things going bad, bad things happening to good people and stuff like that. And it is, it's bizarre. And some of the lines you hear must have sounded great on paper. And there's one quite near the beginning where Cameron Diaz delivers this line about, Truth doesn't have a temperature, and it's just like, oh god, no, that's that's horrible. That's yes. clunky as hell. It was, um, but all of the, then, I was going to make a point as well about Cameron Diaz, just to single her yeah. out, really, because a lot of her delivery, um, it was just weird. She would just, you know, the, the, the way she would kind of look to the cam, well, not look to the camera, but yeah. sort of her facial expression would change halfway through a sentence. I'm not sure that really worked, to be honest. No. Um, what's even funny, apparently she did it in a hugely um, 
hard to understand uh, Barbados patois. Yeah. Um, and she and the studio executive said she had to go back and re-record it because she sounded like Rihanna. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I kind to... of wish they'd left it actually because that might <laughs> that might have made it a bit more interesting. But she had some bizarre lines. Um, yeah, that just didn't feel they just didn't fit with her character at all. No. And and that kind of fits into my theory and maybe I'm forcing it into my theory about how Cormac McCarthy can't write women um, which is a big accusation to make a, of a Pulitzer winning yeah, Pulitzer Prize winning author um, but I don't know that character and considering how pivotal that character is mm. I had no idea about motivation and that again that's a failing somewhere either through editing or through the, the original script um, yeah. You just, you, she is this huge pivotal character, and there should be a load of there should be some mystique. But I just ended up at the end of the film. I knew nothing more about her by the end of the film. No. Well, there's one scene where it feels like me. they're trying to force a little bit of background into her during mm. a confession scene. Yes. And it's like, well, you've still not really said anything about her. You know, no. you're showing that she follows through on some of the stuff she hints at. So you've got yeah. to understand she's a very serious person, even if she presents herself as being quite, um, uh, you know, eccentric <laughs> to a point. Yeah. She's still very, actually, quite frightening. But And it's another thing as well to just have Javier Bardem tell you repeatedly, she's a very scary character. Oh, I don't really know. I can't, I don't really know what's going yeah. like. Well, fine, but yeah, why? <laughs> but show some, yeah, show us some examples of that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, one thing I do want to say, is, as a positive of the film, and I suppose this is the most damning thing of the Cormac McCarthy script, is that for me the best moments of the film are there's a few unscripted action moments mm. that actually, or, or the build-up to action moments. There's a fantastic scene... Um, which I think has been used in the trailer a lot, and I'm not going to go too much into it, but it's uh, you know setting up this roadside trap. Um, that was a brilliant scene. There's a fantastic um, gunfight, mm. uh, just a really nicely edited, shot and performed gunfight um, with no words in it. And then another scene, um, I'm, I'm not going to spoil anything, just involving... Uh, Brad Pitt and impending doom, uh, you know, music <laughs> and you know, uh, and again, all of these scenes, you you kind of felt that they were coming and you knew they were, and if you were following, yeah, you know, they were the the more telegraphed scenes, but they they worked really really well, and it did make me think, do you know, what, really still can direct a good film, it's just he's just not directing. He's just not directing for the to use a football. He's not playing for the whole ninety minutes at the moment. He kind of, yeah. You know, we get flashes of genius from him at the moment, and some decent stuff, and then some poor stuff. And I, I'm sure there's still a genuinely brilliant, brilliant film left in him. I just hope time's not running out because there, there were some great bits there. Uh, what the other thing I do want to make, Brad Pitt, he seems to be coasting a little bit recently. Um, well, I quite liked him in this. I have... he, I, no, I quite liked him in this, but in the same way that I quite liked George Clooney, I, I, I quite like. I quite, I think I quite liked him because I quite like him, but right. he he felt, I I'll be, it felt like I was watching Brad Pitt, and that, I was happy because I like watching Brad Pitt, 
but I've spent the last few films that I've seen Brad Pitt in thinking I quite like watching Brad Pitt and I haven't seen anything that's made me go, oh, he's making me think. I'm, I'm, he's making me believe in a character. And uh, I'll, I'll be if this just felt a bit quite like Rusty from Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it felt like a slightly darker version of him. Whereas in um, old film last year... Uh, uh, the killing them softly. Killing them softly. That, that to me, actually. So I say coasting recently. Uh, that's a bit unfair because he was absolutely brilliant in killing them softly. Um, but maybe it's my fault. Maybe it's because he's such a famous face. It's difficult not to see Brad Pitt on, on screen now. I don't know. I mean, it's common criticism of uh, Brad Pitt, isn't it? That he just turns up to films and plays mm. Brad Pitt playing so and so. And he never used to. No. He definitely yeah, I he mean, if used you... to be a lot more adaptable and, uh, you know, 12 Monkeys, for example. That's yeah. not a Brad Pitt performance. Interview so. with a vampire as well, you know? Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. He's not really um, Brad Pitt as we know him in that. And, um, no, no. But, you um, know, yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a good point. I still think he's... Um, I still think he's a good actor, though. He's, oh, yeah, and he's good in this. I, I'm just... I'm just... Again, yeah. I'm being picky <laughs> because I wanted this to be so much better, and it's not bad. I just wished it could have been loads better. Yeah. I think that's fair. It is a film that automatically puts you onto the defensive as well. Cause, yeah. Because like we've already talked about the, the expectation and the fact that a lot of people have already slagged it off. But I like it. I thought I, I thought it was a good film. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, that's all for our review of new releases this week. Um, I have a quick little break. Come back with some recommendations for you to watch during the week. Right, so recommendations for the next seven days or so. Uh, I'm going to kick us off with quite simply watch the Doctor Who 50th anniversary special on BBC <laughs> One on Saturday night. It should, in theory, be amazing. Um, so stick that on. Yeah, and you can go to the cinema and watch it as well. You can, you can go and watch it in 3D at the cinema. Yeah, I'm not going 3D, to. So. Followed. I, I bet it'll. I, I just got this feeling that it will be a really you know if you're in a full cinema it's going to be full of idiots watching it i don't know why i've just got this feeling if you went to watch that at the cinema it's going to be like a there'll be a lot of kids and there's going to be a lot of people with snacks that make lots of noise (laughs) yeah do you know it's a bit it it, it, it's exactly the situation i have at christmas where no one else in my family really likes it so i kind of watch it with a load of shit going on around me and then Later on at night, when I'm on my own, I sit down and watch it properly. But I get, um, and that's you what know, you might want to do with the cinema. If you go to the cinema, make sure you've taped it so you can go home and sit down quietly and properly watch it and catch all the things you missed because idiots shaved like, it over a bit. But you it. know how, like, yeah, last week we were saying, go and watch Gravity on the biggest mm-hmm. screen you can, IMAX or whatever. In, in this case, it's the opposite. If you've got a good telly at home, just watch it at home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, James. You're recommending Blackfish again, I believe. Yeah, I fucking am. <laughs> Until everyone who listens to this podcast... Do you know what I'm getting... At the moment, I'm currently planning the end-of-year polls, because I love end-of-year polls. <laughs> uh, and and I'm, very, I'm very tempted um, when it comes to polling um, our, our writers and our podcasters and everything like that for 
on the subject of best documentary of the year. I'm, I'm genuinely thinking of putting at the moment a little tick box at the moment going, okay, there's your top three, but have you seen Blackfish? Uh, because, I'm sorry, it's fucking brilliant, and um, it's on. It's on TV. You've got no excuse now, people. It's going to be on BBC4 on Thursday night at 9 o'clock, so I'm going to get this out on a Wednesday night, so you've got 24 hours to get yourself ready, But and uh, we'll put it on Twitter as well. Um, it's going to be on BBC4. It's free. It's 90 minutes. It is one of the most important and powerful documentaries I have seen for a few years. Absolute blackfish. It's about a killer whale that actually kills people. Come on. <laughs> and our pick is? Well, I, I've gone for two that are on TV as well on Thursday. So you might just have to set these to record. Or if Blackfish, I know James is really pressuring everybody to watch it. Yeah. It does seem like a totally depressing and angry film that will make you very angry. So yes. if you're not in that kind of mood and you just want to record it and watch it when you're feeling a bit better, there's sort of a Brad Pitt double bill, actually, on Thursday evening. Okay. 9pm on Five Star, you've got Ocean's Eleven. Um, nice. Yeah, very good heist film. Um, and the film we've already sort of mentioned, actually, at 10pm, um, on uh, actually what channel Comedy Central it's on if you've got that channel is Snatch so dude oh god yeah forget him in Snatch that's what I'm talking about just becoming a completely different character yeah. no that's right he's great in Snatch he's fantastic yeah so um, two oh he, he has, has he got a name in that or is he just the pikey can I change my triple bill <laughs> Anyway, I'm gonna look that up really quickly. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, there's two Brad Pitt films on two of his best. I think if you're um, in the mood for them. Excellent. Well, I think that's all for um, this week's failed critics podcast. I'd like to thank everyone who has listened and everyone who has uh, contributed in any way to the making of this podcast. And we'll just into it with you there, Steve. He's called Mickey O'Neill, not the Pikey. Just, uh, I know I know that some listeners would have been really frustrated if we didn't give them that answer. <laughs> um, right. Next week, Steve, um, shall I tell what we're doing next week? Go on, then. Yeah, because um, I'm quite excited, and Owen's, gonna, Owen's heart's sinking, and he's not even going to get involved in this, I bet. Um, uh, Hunger Games, Catching right. Fire, is out. That's going to that's gonna be our, our big review next week, starring, weirdly, and, and who would have thought this? Um, when the first Hunger Games film came out, Hunger Games Catching Fire, starring Oscar-winning actress Jennifer Lawrence. Um, so yeah, and and loads of other really good actors. I'm I'm quite excited, and there'll be some other films as well. Okay, yeah. So uh, join us next week for that and more. The failed critics are James Diamond, Steve Norman and Owen Hughes with original music provided by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com You can find us at failedcritics.com at Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritics and on Twitter at at failedcritics 